Welcome back to the Pod of Greed. Yeah, that's right. Another week, we've got uh, a bevy of Yu-Gi-Oh! news, actually, from this past week, there I would say. plenty. Yeah, a lot of different announcements, a lot of different things. But first, got to start off with a review. This comes to us, once again, from Apple Podcasts. Uh, from Baby Moss 16. They left this just on Saturday. They Baby said, Moss. This podcast is everything I've been looking for. I watched Team APS and I've always loved their content, but I've always wanted more. Then this podcast came along. I love hearing their opinions, and it's like talking to friends about a game we all know and love. And they left five stars. So That might be my favorite review yet. Yeah, not, so com- not comparing all you guys, just Baby Moss kind of set the bar there. Yeah, so I appreciate it, of course, if you guys don't mind if you're listening to the podcast on any particular platform where you can rate it, we'll always appreciate a five-star review, or maybe a one-star review, but, you know, uh, don't do that. Just think carefully about it. Just don't leave a review at all, you know. But if it's a one-star review, but you say nice things, then... Yeah, so, uh, oh man... Where to start with the Yu-Gi-Oh? I'm pretty sure there's news across the entire Yu-Gi-Oh spectrum, so I guess we just start with the TCG. Okay, so um, as for stuff that's already come out, there's Maze of Millennia. It's finally released, so this will hopefully be the last week that we're talking about this set because it's... Uh, the set that set Yu-Gi-Oh on fire. Yeah, yeah it's been a stir. Uh, so the set's out. There's, you know, Bonfire's out now completely. Um, its price has gone down. But it's still kind of high. Yeah, it's still, it's jumping between like, you know, $70, $80. Um, so that's been a thing. It seems like from what, from the boxes that I have seen, it's not short printed or anything. So most people, uh, nah. yeah, most people are like pulling it. Um, Though I, I've only seen one thrust and I've yeah. seen at least seven bonfires. Yeah, it sounds like Thrust is the more short printed card, and that might even that might be like. I mean, it's anecdotal. Yeah, like who knows? Just depends kind of who you are. Massive pullers tell us. Yeah, but I think that actually bodes pretty well because it means like Bonfire is uh, not you know like that sort of card. Like you can pull you know copies of it reasonably out of like a box or two. Though I'm not, and this is another situation where I can't really suggest buying sealed product because. While, yes, Bonfire has decent pull rates, uh, some of the ultra rares in that set are yeah. doo-doo. Yeah, I have, I have a few complaints about the ultras in the set. Um, I mean, you know, it is a sort of, you know, it's like a reprint set. So there's like some new cards and then there's some old cards. But the biggest complaint I have about that set is legitimately just putting cards like Ancient Chant Ancient as ultra Chant. rares. Uh, even new cards like Burst Draw, yeah. horrible, horrible Ultra Rares. Burst, Burst Destiny? Was it Burst Destiny? It's something. It's, a, draw, it's a Cyburst Draw spell. Yeah, the one with Yusaku on it. Uh, yeah, that one seemed to show up a little bit more than I would like, have liked in, in the boxes we opened. Triple Tactics Thrust in it. Why am I seeing like five and six Ancient Chants that... I think the main problem I have with that is just that like... Cards like Ancient Chant, um, I mean, they were Ultra to begin with, mm-hmm. so I don't really know why in this Ultra, or in this, like, reprint set, it's also Ultra. I don't think that there's really... Because, I mean, it was in Rage of Ra, and uh, nobody really wanted to pull that set. Yeah. And, like, the thing is, Ancient Chant did have a bit of a price, so it makes sense for it to be reprinted here. I just don't really know why they made it, like, Ultra. Like, if Could it's going to be a super. reprint, yeah, just make it, like, a Super, 
or even a rare, but honestly, like a super would have been fine. It could still feel like somewhat special. Um, and I don't know who made the call on that cyber spell. Uh, nah, that wasn't it. Yeah, I mean, it's an anime card, so I know that they feel like that sort of thing has to get ultra rare treatment. But like, it's just so hard. It's, it's not really a very good card. Yeah. I don't really want to pull it. Also, something else that I kind of noticed about this set is like, it's really. You know, Bonfire and, like, Transaction Rollback are definitely, like, the conversation pieces about this set, but there actually, like, aren't any others. Like, it doesn't seem like any of the cards in it are really, like... I haven't heard anyone, like, playing Kaido Terra or, like, Earthbound. Kaido Terra is actually a a big dino staple going forward. Okay. Just because it enables them to search Polly and get the Hornsaurus out, who just searches field spells kind of on demand and gives you additional normal summons of dinos. Mm-hmm. It actually is a, it's actually a pretty solid dino piece. Oh, okay, yeah. I hadn't really heard anybody talking about like the decks from the set, so that kind of felt I mean it's not making dinos like relevant again, but yeah. it, it, it's a solid piece. Yeah, there's also like Flame Swordsman, um, you know, it some of its uh some of its like collectors rares look really nice. Mm-hmm. So that's been kinda cool. I think it was neat to have a collector's rare set, and I'll give them credit on one other thing about Maze of Millennia. They seem to have increased the pull rates for ultras in a box compared yeah. to previous collector's rare sets. So those would typically have like three ultras on mm-hmm. average, like in a Valiant Smashers or in a Wild Survivors. But in this case, um, we, I think, pulled four ultras on average per box. So yeah. that was, yeah, pretty consistently. So I think that they have at least slightly increased that. And if so... Good on you, Konami. I mean, you know, it, it's just pain when your four ultras are ancient chant, burst, destiny, the photon card. Yeah, those are not like, as <laughs> not as exciting. I think that um, I just feel like certain car like cards that. Well, I guess it's subjective. Like everyone's gonna kind of have like a different set of cards they would like to be ultra rare. So. Maybe. Hop in the comments and let us know if uh, Burst Burst Destiny was your pick. For yeah, a- I don't think anybody was like rushing to pull that. I don't, you know, think that if you pull those in your box, that you're particularly happy. I mean, they were better. Some of the compared to some of our ultras, they were better supers. Yeah. Uh, another thing about the set too is actually that transaction rollback has a couple of controversial rulings that I have seen some people oh, make yikes. videos about. Yeah. So transaction rollback, it's kind of a confusing card because it. Like, copies a trap card's effect from the mm-hmm. graveyard, but right now, apparently, the big ruling that we don't have an answer yet to, at least that I've heard, or not that I've heard, is um, Eradicator Epidemic Virus. Yeah, okay, I heard that Among too. a couple other cards, too, but, like, because if you copy Eradicator Epidemic Virus's effect, the text reads, like, that it lasts for three turns after activation, like, after this card's activation. Oh. And, you know, Transaction Rollback is not actually... um. It doesn't like activate, you know, the card. It's just applying its effect, and so in the OCG, I believe that they are able to do it, but their cards worded a little bit differently, like mm-hmm. their copy of um, Eradicator Epidemic Virus. So uh, we just will have to wait probably until the first major YCS before a like head judge makes that ruling, and we that's know. a painful ruling to go not your way. <laughs> I think it actually reminds me a little bit too of why like I don't care that much for Yu-Gi-Oh's TCG like ruling system because I mean right now like Konami could just say it like they could just release a press release but instead they're kind of doing this strange thing where 
even though it's their game that they publish, they're going to leave it kind of just up to like what the first head judge at the first big YCS says. And I guess that'll set something of a precedent. But not really, because we already know that then the next head judge, the next large YCS can just overrule that. Yeah, so I, I stuff like that has always really, really confused me. I don't. But I will go on record that. in saying that the Yu-Gi-Oh judge program is still one of the most solid judge programs in TCG. It's better than some other games. It's better than some other games. I've seen how some other games judge programs and stuff go, and it's sad because I think that the Yu-Gi-Oh judges themselves are like fine. Obviously, they're doing a really hard job. I just think that the system that Konami's got in place mm-hmm. for like ruling precedents is weird because it's like it kind of like. They, they shrug off a lot of the responsibility of, like, saying whether or not a card works a certain way. And I guess maybe their idea in doing that is they don't want to undermine judges. Where, like, if a judge says something wrong, they don't want you to, I guess, be able to, like, tell them that they're wrong by right. pulling up a Konami official ruling. It's like when uh, the police pull you over and you start trying to tell them the law. It's like, yeah, you're just increasing your chances of something poor happening. So I think Konami's trying to avoid that. But I do think that it's a, it's a little weird. Um, just like you could just release a ruling. And they've done it in the past. They've done a few, like, little articles where they'll just, like, uh, clarify something that's been extremely, extremely controversial. So, uh, yeah, but that's pretty much it on Maze of Money. I don't think yeah, there's much else to say. Get your bonfires and transaction rollbacks now. Um, yeah. Before it just goes out of print, and then it's good luck. Yeah, although it might just sit at your card shop for a while. Like, I I wouldn't be surprised. Sets like this, you never know what will happen with them. Like, Maze of Memories was at our shop for months and months. But Maze of Memories didn't have a bonfire. It did have Barone. Oh, never mind. And that was that arguably was more, um, like, wanted. So, Okay, another thing that was announced recently was Rarity Collection 2. That's a surprise. So that, like, popped up out of nowhere just a few days ago. Uh what do you think about this? They're going. This is going to be releasing in May. It's just it's a sign that all the positive buzz around Rarity Collection was not lost on Konami. So, in case you are wondering if Konami hears or notices things, this should be your example that yes, they do because there is no Rarity Collection two in the OCG. They have other yeah. sets, but they only did one Rarity Collection. We're getting probably, a second in a short amount of time. I should actually probably read um, the product blurb. Oh, yeah, go for so it. So they say, last year's 25th anniversary Rarity Collection, ugh, I completely botched that, blew everyone's socks off. So we started work on a sequel right away. Yeah, right. Um, in order to get it out as fast as we can, we've made some changes to the configuration while leaving all the good stuff and value intact. Um, so... Rarity Collection 2 packs have twice as many Ultra and Secret Rares per pack, which gives you twice as many chances at Luxury Rares per pack, like Quarter Century Secret Rares, Prismatic Style Ultimate and Collector's Rares, and Platinum Rares. We've cut back on the packaging, so there will be fewer packs that you'll need to open and fewer wrappers to throw away. Just still get the same number of cards that you're looking for. And with double the cards per pack, about two-thirds of packs should have at least one Luxury Rare this time around, and around a third should have more than one. You could even get up to six luxury rares in the same pack, theoretically, at least. Wait a minute. Okay, I got I to gotta pause you there. Okay. So this is actually breaking Konami precedence to, especially in a product description, to kind of set an expectation for pull rates. Is yeah, they've new. done that a little in the past. This is the first time they've been, I guess, as like straightforward about it, but I think I know why. 
Because I know, what you, so what you're saying is like it's weird for them to like sort of say like how much you could. What are the chances of like pulling? And then rares? to like specifically call these upper rares luxury rares, it's it, the wording here sounds so non Konami luxury rare value. Okay. There's yeah, that's in, okay. There's a couple of interesting words here actually. So the first one is that they say like in order to get it out as fast as we can, we've made some changes to the configuration while leaving all the good stuff and value intact. Now, some people have read that word and value to mean like they're acknowledging the secondary market. I don't think no, they I are. I don't think they are. <laughs> I think that they just, they're using that word to like just in terms of, you know, cards per dollar like that you're buying. So they're not talking about like the card's secondary value. They're just talking was, about like literally I net thought, amount um, per like dollar it spent. It was value insofar as like. You know how when opening up rarity collection, stock, stocking up on ashes it feels pretty good because there's value in that card, even though it's been reprinted before. Yeah, or they could mean it like that. Yeah, that yeah. type of value. That's what I now I I, they have used the word luxury rares before. Actually, they used it for for rarity collection one, oh. which it was like in the product description. I don't know if anyone else really saw that because I've heard some other people talking about how like they haven't heard them call them luxury rares, but they did call them that. Hmm. Um, those are the like special ones, the quarter centuries, the prismatic, ulti, and collectors, and then the platinum rares. Um, cutting back on packaging sounds nice. Yeah, especially if it's keeping the same amount of cards just with fewer packs. That that just makes sense. Yeah, it's sort of interesting. So I guess like a single pack, the price of a single pack is going to be a little bit higher. Um, it's nine ninety nine per pack, and you get nine cards per pack, um, mm. which I think before. I don't know exactly what the price was before. I'm I'm not ready to do that kind of math. The long story short, Rarity Collection Two is apparently better value. So though I will say, following following up Rarity Collection One so close to its release will be difficult. Rarity yeah, Collection One's quote unquote value was that there were a lot of just really solid staple cards that were just, that would go in people's uh, main decks, their side decks, their extra. There's lots of useful reprinted cards, but what are I'm not sure what all gets reprinted into. Well, they've given us at least a few uh, to get our feet wet here. Um, hard to find tournament powerhouses like Access Code Talker and Magician Souls. Very good. Um, those are really good. I know those have price tags. Uh, Silent Magician and Silent Swordsman available for the first time in eight years. And that's just in time for the brand new Silent Cards coming in April's Legacy of Destruction booster set, which we know about. Um, cards that will glisten and gleam in your hand as they wait for the perfect moment to seal your victory. They can't say hand trap, but they mean Droll and Lockbird. Ghost Ogre and Snow Rabbit, Ghost Mourner and Moonlit Chill, and Fantastical Dragon, Phantasme. Okay, so more of the niche hand traps. Yeah, just kind of rounding out some of the hand traps that you can but get. I guess Droll doesn't really feel niche. It yeah, it's been pretty popular lose. these days. Um, all of the Visus field spells, so Primitive Planet Rykphobia, Primeval Planet Perlorano, Pressured Planet Raidsoth, and Peaceful Planet Calarium are all in here as well. It's a little strange to do the field spell reprint, given that we have murdered TR Laments and Kashtira to an extent. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's just because their field spells tend to be their most popular cards. Um, they were usually secret rares. so Yeah, they were hard to get. So they were tough to get, so I don't think that this is a bad thing. Uh, and then the biker version of IP Mascarena. I like that all Which is good because it was a gold rare before, and that was... Gold rares are kind of yucky. Yeah, I like the art. Didn't like the 
The Ram. Um, and the fierce version of Rescue Cat plus Opelosa, Bow of the Goddess. So all those alternate arts that's cool. that were yeah, that's available cool. only as gold rares are now finally going to be available in a lot of different rarities and obviously just probably with better print quality because right. gold rares sort of suck. Plus dozens and dozens more. So um, whether you're a collector or a competitive duelist, 25th Anniversary Rarity Collection 2 is full of cars that everyone will want to get their hands on. The main question here is like, it's been like six months after the first one. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's too soon? Yes and no. Um, if the goal, if their goal is j- to get players caught up with all the like, with the last like five years of Yu-Gi-Oh, and just have them prepared to play more competitive, and and have them prepared to build more modern decks, then I think that's fine. Yeah. It feels kind of like, um, what was that set that just kind of gave us a bunch of cards? Like Dual Devastator. Yeah, it reminds me of like Dual Devastator, whose goal was just to like help us get our hands on useful cards. In this case, it feels like they've split the set in two, and now they're just helping us get these cards. However, if the goal is to maximize the selling of product, I think it is too soon because, I mean... Our wallets aren't just going to get bigger because they're going to release another product so soon. Yeah, there's a few thoughts I have on this. Um, so, yeah, I think it is a bit soon. I honestly expected a Rarity Collection 2 just because like the first one did have, like, RA01 as, like, the set code. So, it's like, okay, so it'll probably be RA02. I thought it would be, like, maybe in November again. Like, a, I thought a full year later. Years. Or maybe, yeah, maybe even, like, I, two years later or something. Assumption. I think that they're doing it this soon because, like, it... My, like, maybe more cynical hunch is that Rarity Collection 1 kind of saved Yu-Gi-Oh! at a lot of card shops. Mm -hmm. I know that, you know, last fall, kind of late summer fall, was not great for Yu-Gi-Oh! A lot of bad headlines about, like, shops kind of dropping the game entirely because they were just having such difficulty selling products and players weren't interested. And it really wasn't good. And they had a few, like, back-to-back middling releases. Soul Bearing Volcano, the tins weren't great. Vows of Legend was kind of underwhelming. People didn't like Dune. Um, and so then Rarity Collection comes along, and suddenly, like, everyone just wants it. It's flying off shelves. Mm-hmm. Everyone's getting all their different cards. They're getting collections of Rarity Collection, like getting every card and every Rarity. Lots of trading again. People were telling stories about how, like, their card shops were really, like, alive again. Right. And so... I think Konami saw that, and honestly, they were like, oh, okay, good. We got to, like, replicate that fast because we want to undo a lot of the damage where, like, you know, these headlines and these shops dropping Yu-Gi-Oh! did. Um, It was such a good set. You know, this past weekend, we we visited a shop, and they had a Rarity Collection binder, and I was so happy because I was like, oh, I'm picking up my my set of Imperms right here. Yeah, that was really great. Um, Shout-outs to that store. It was the Card Haven we went to in Texas this past weekend. It's very cool. Um Lots of nice people, shouts to the fans. Um, yeah, so I think that they felt the pressure to maybe release something big like this soon. My main thing is that I don't know that they can really do a third one then. At least not, like, this soon after I a second one. I would hope they don't try and drop a third one in 2025. So, obviously, I am somebody who is firmly in support of reprints. I think that, big you know, fan. it's good to just, just reprint the cards, let people get them, you know, drive the availability up, and I guess the prices down. My main thing that I sort of worry about, though, with this, just to give the full perspective on it, is that, like, what does this sort of tell you about, um, you know, really, like, I guess, buying cards? 
like given the choice between this and buying like any other set that's released around it maze of millennia you would yeah you would just always pick to buy rarity collection i would think and so i think if konami's releasing this they might want to and they probably are considering maybe like axe a few of those other reprint sets like um the bowels of legend stuff and those sort of things because like I think they might be because they're releasing Battles of Legend Chapter 1 or whatever, which reprints a bunch of Battles of Legend cards. Which is strange. So it makes me think like maybe they're just kind of going to be done with Battles of Legend. But then what do we do with all the Anime Chronicle stuff from Japan? Don't know. I mean, they've been kind of doing those anime cards more so in these maze sets That's lately. true. The maze sets. So I don't know if they're trying to like anime. reconfigure the product schedule, but I just think that like if Rarity Collection 2 exists, it's going to make it really awkward to like buy a Bowels of Legend this summer as well. I think it depends on your goal, right? So far, Rarity Collection doesn't deal in, like, archetypes or anime stuff. Yeah, it, so doesn't, it doesn't reprint anything or add anything new. It's strictly reprints. For the people who bought into, like, Maze because they want to play Flame Swords and the people who bought into the last Maze because they want to play Gate Guardian, Rarity Collection isn't... They, it doesn't, it's not the it's answer. It's not a problem. I think the surprising thing about Rarity Collection was it got more competitive-focused Yu-Gi-Oh! players to buy sealed products. Because yes. for once, uh, competitive Jimmy, who only built, plays meta decks, who all who likes to optimize, and he, all he doesn't like buying sealed product, he looked at Rarity Collection and said, "Wait a minute, I can get like sets of everything, and I'll never have to like hop on TCG Player for these staples again." Yeah, I mean, I think that it's kind of just it's cool. Like, don't get me wrong, I, I'm more in support of this release than I am like against it. But it just does make you wonder, like, man, how's it going to affect like the ability to like buy? Like want to buy other packs, so I just don't expect it to be a rarity collection too in the next uh, two years. You mean three? Three? I mean, yeah, three. Yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll already run out two. of staples. Yeah, like, I don't I know think, that they um, have much left. They have to print some new staples. Let us kind of like start pining for them again, and then you hit us with rarity collection three. Right? Yeah. Like, um, so we've got like access code and magician souls. Good I like stuff. that. Uh, some cards that I've heard people say they really want in here: Kurikara, Divincarnate, right? Be a really good one. Um, Ultimate Slayer, maybe. That would probably mm, be nice. Good stuff. Uh, it's a good reprint. Um, I want to see Chaos Angel. Chaos Angel, I think, for sure needs to be in here. A lot of people really want that. Um, Diviner of the Herald, apparently, is one that people really want a reprint of. Diviner got a reprint. Or a it few did. reprints. It's gotten one reprint, but it's going to be... It's supposed to be pretty useful in the new Voiceless Voice oh, archetype. Yeah. And so because of Voiceless Voice, its price has kind of begun to, like scale it's upwards again up. I so you. uh you know that those could be some really good cards there's a few other stray things seems like they're trying to get around to pretty much all the hand traps mm-hmm. so uh that would be good i'm curious if they would put something like uh like again like chaos angel dissipator because those came out like may of like last year so i, I think they could that was feasibly, this, the dark times they could feasibly put them in here so yeah i mean it's it's still a cool set. I still will be buying it. I think people will be really happy about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wonder how they managed to like I guess get it done. So I don't know how. I mean, obviously they can just make it make a it product. It just means that uh, you know, Konami can like they can they can make a product and reprint cards. It's, yeah. They just have to feel motivated. Yeah, I guess maybe a darker spin on that too would be like if it's this easy, why haven't they just you know like why did it take them this long type of thing? Because it's like, oh, hey, here's Rarity Collection 1. People love it. Okay, now we'll start reprinting things liberally like we probably should have been doing for My assumption is longer. that uh, it, it wasn't easy. 
and that it literally took a product like Rarity Collection to Sell convince so well. people to convince the people in charge, like, okay, maybe maybe we can do this. Yeah, that might, that's probably true. They might not have it might have been easy per se, but um, just looks easy when we get to go to our card shop and buy our imperms and ashes and everything else. Well, anyways, yeah, that's Rarity Collection too. I think it's cool. It's got a little blue color on the pack, so. Kind of a neat change. I guess the first one was red, so this one's right. blue. Um, and I will be picking it up in May. Next, though, we've got to talk about Phantom Nightmare. Hey, so we got influencer reveals now. Um, a few of them, at least, uh, as of the time that we're recording this, which is Wednesday. Uh, we, mostly for every, you know, we already knew about, like, Voiceless Voice mm-hmm. and a lot of the um, other new archetypes or new, like, you know, you bell cards and stuff in Phantom Nightmare. But uh, we did get a TCG exclusive archetype. World premiere, yeah. In Ashend. So uh, you know more about this than me, I think, at least the inspirations. The uh, Yeah, the Ashend archetype. It's, I mean, I think most people kind of saw it immediately, but it's a clear reference to like the Dark Souls series of games. The uh, The idea behind Ashend is that this dragon has broken the cycle of life and death, and... The hero, the king, and the uh, was it the priestess? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. They they have they're going. They have to try and kill this dragon and set the world back to the way it's meant to be, which is very similar to uh, the Dark Souls story of like an immortal warrior who uh, has been risen from the dead and he's trying to kill this unholy beast. Right. Um. So pretty cool. It's a pyro archetype, which was really exciting when they first announced it. Hey, that works with bonfire, guys. Yeah, you sure yeah. you want to let that maze of millennia sit? Huh? A convenient way to sell some bonfires, I would think. Now, uh, people also people are pretty excited about this. I mean, it just looks cool. The art's very, uh, very dark, really. Like it's it dark is, fantasy um, kind of. It's also one of those heavily thematic archetypes where they issue a little bit of. Um, of their competitive viability for sauce. Yeah, speaking of that. <laughs> uh, so we did get reveals like the other day about how the deck actually works. Yeah. Which is a little strange. Konami typically has been like relegating that to the content creators to make those videos where it's like, here, we're going to explain this archetype. But I think that they probably wanted to be front and center in explaining this new TCG exclusive one and maybe not just give it to... I guess a certain, yeah, a certain you may not creator. want a content creator to fumble it. You know, it's a big thing. So, uh, I kind of think I have the gist of it. Basically, it, it has a field spell, mm-hmm. and the, the big dragon boss monster can summon itself to your opponent's field, destroy a field spell. When the field spell is destroyed, it like summons another monster from deck for you. And then also, like when that dragon goes to graveyard in any way, mm-hmm. it will nuke uh, the board. So your opponent. It, you know, they're going to still be pretty, like, hard-pressed to link it off or something like that. Yeah. Because it will nuke their board in the process. Um, and then the Ashen monsters seem like they also sort of function around the field spell. I, I kind of so, didn't... Sorry, go ahead. I, I, have a, I have a decent handle on the deck. And everything you said is true. As far as the, uh, the Ashen monsters, they all kind of just special summon themselves for free if you have the field spell on board. Mm-hmm. The Priestess and the King seem to exist just to get you to the hero. Who has an effect to destroy a pyro monster on the field? I believe it has to be your opponents, but he can just destroy yeah. the dragon just by existing. So you can essentially nuke your opponent's board at a moment's notice with the deck. 
Yeah. Um, it's like a quick effect uh, MST to the dragon. That's yeah. what I heard some people kind of call it. But only for field spells. The, it's yeah. a strange deck where... Your monsters can nuke the dragon you put on their field, and the dragon can nuke the field spell, which can start the whole like engine again. There's kind of a cycle thing going on. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing that was strange to me, they, they did reveal a trap. Um, I believe the trap's not searchable. Oh, I don't think I've The I field spell and the trap or something like aren't searchable. Like, I know that there's like some cards in the... Because the, priest, the priestess searches... Um, Ashened cards, yeah. and like there's a couple of cards that don't have the Ashened in their name. I think the field spell mm. and the trap maybe don't, um, but the quick play spell does. I believe there's a way to search the field spell, but yeah, maybe the trap isn't. Yeah, searchable. it's. I, I haven't gone over it too closely, honestly. I mean, the archetype didn't really. I wasn't super into it. I know a lot of people were just for the art aesthetic. So when I saw the effects, I was just kind of like, not like toning it out, but I was like, okay, I get the gist. Um, people seem to be a little bit disappointed with these effects from the first reveal. I mean, they're clearly not busted. Yeah, they're not. Um, Which is, it's hilarious that we live in a Yu-Gi-Oh where field nukes isn't, it's not Yeah, really it just seems like, I guess, for, mo- for most people, the, the deck doesn't, I guess, offer, like, negates. I don't know. I mean, they're, it doesn't offer, like, a long combo or, like, many negations. It kind of feels a little more... There's not a lot of variation in how they like interact with the opponent. What do we do? We nuke the board. Yeah. Also, I think something that people did not care for is that the monsters are not fire. They're dark. Yeah. So that kind of precludes them from all of the recent fire support, mm-hmm. which has been really nice. So even though they're like searchable with bonfire, you can't use them with like fire recovery or yeah. um, like you know I guess oil and stuff like that that's coming out. Like you can't use them with any of those cards. Well, simultaneously, they lock you into Pyro as well, I think, some of their and cards. And we know being locked into Pyro is not a place you want to be. It's so like Pyro's cool, but like you still want to be able to like summon up this stuff. And this kind of means you wouldn't be able to maybe use like Diabell Star and stuff with them as easily. So um, it, it's looking a little bit middling right now. Right. But Obviously, I mean, that can change. It's a TCG exclusive archetype, so they will be getting another round of support, presumably in the next at least set. Two, right? I mean, they've been kind of going. They've changed their support thing nowadays. So they used to do the TCG exclusive archetypes with like four sets of support. Yeah. Uh, now they only do two, so they do like seven and seven. It's like seven cards this set, seven cards the next set, and that's that's it. Oh, you mean oh two in total? I thought two was sets, get two more. Oh, just, yeah, like like two. So it's just one more. Yeah, one more. Yeah, there will be like Yikes. one more set of um, support if that trend continues. Anyway, but so. I do like. I mean, when we think about what this archetype does, seven more cards to this archetype actually sounds pretty good. Yeah, they, there's like definitely a time for this to turn around. I would, I would, I would urge people like don't give up on the deck. Obviously, mm-hmm. in fact, this could be an opportunity to pick it up if it's like cheap, get it now, and then that way if. Uh, if you know it gets promising later, you've got a core already, and things I kind of expect because of the Dark Soul references of this archetype, I expect for there to be more monsters to summon to your opponent's board, and that get uh, some type of debilitating effect when they're removed from the board. Uh, I also expect for there to be, you know, in Dark Souls, there's like the uh, the campfires or the bonfires that are like your save points where that you get sent back to. I expect for there to be some type of way to protect for your um your monsters to just keep recurring to the board almost annoyingly because they can't die. 
Yeah, that would make sense. I think that would be something that people would also... Um, you get to feel like you're playing the, the lore, and mm-hmm. it could... Like, depending on how that's integrated, obviously, that could be really good, like, just as a competitive strategy, I would think. Now, um, the last, you know, the track record for TG exclusives has not been great. Uh, I know people didn't really care too much for, like, Gold Pride. It never really took off. It, it, it was played with Punk, so that was cool. Yeah, but it didn't really see competitive success. Goatee or Fish did not really... Was never a fan of them. Didn't seem to really, like, make much impact either. Um, so... What was our last... Like competitive TCG exclusive, it still kind of feels like mm, Cosmos. Maybe that's Burning insane. Abyss and Cosmos. I mean, Kaiju's was Kaiju was a TCG exclusive archetype, but that's it, true. it was but like they became just kind of they became staples, yeah, like, a, a like staple. inside decks and stuff. So, which isn't bad. So like, there's something there. I just um, I think people are a little bit let down. But either way, oh, oh Spiral, yeah, 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 yeah Spiral, they were Spiral was TCG, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's kind of interesting though. They were not very good until they got a new, a single new card that was not a TCG exclusive. And then card. the ban list had to like put in some work. But yeah, I mean, you know, I always think that with TCG exclusive archetypes, you have to just kind of like take take a leap of faith with whether mm-hmm. or not Konami will make it good or not. Um, Justina I mean, did not pay off, but there, yeah. but these might, you know, and you but, might just find something you really like playing. I mean, look at Plunder Patrol. Like they yeah. they're not really competitive, but I but still fun. feel like that archetype came together really well. It took a lot of support, but it yeah. came together. It took some time, um, but yeah. So you know, if you want to pick up Ashen, I would say just grab it. Like if nothing else, it'll probably be cheap. If you like the aesthetic, do it. You might be surprised in the coming months. Yeah. Um, okay. Next thing is a quick announcement about a. QCC stream. So Konami says in celebration of the Yu-Gi-Oh card game's 25th anniversary. This was on Twitter a few days ago. Um, the Yu-Gi-Oh TCG Master Duel and Duel Links will hold a joint quarter century celebration live stream marathon on February 16th to 18th, 2024. Now they don't give any more details on what this exactly means. Yeah, what do they mean by marathon? Yeah, I wonder. Uh, like a marathon that makes it sound like it's like a. I guess like a three-day long live stream. I don't know if that's going to yeah. be. That's a long time, and I have comments enabled. Yeah. Well, hopefully they will at least have that. So this seems like, yeah, it's basically like a 25th anniversary kind of celebration stream. They're going to have something for each of the three main games. Um, shame Rush Duel can't really be, the physical Rush Duel at least, can't be included in that. Uh, it's all packaged in dueling, so there's no better combination. Yeah. Um, so this will be neat. I don't know really too much about this. I guess it's supposed to sort of be our, uh, like, equivalent to maybe, like, the Tokyo Dome event that's going to be happening in Japan. Don't do that. And the, the Tokyo Dome event has much more, like, pop Yeah, it's probably going to be a little better. Because <laughs> I think that for the Tokyo Dome, they're going to have, like, voice actors and uh, just all kinds of stuff. The, ja- the, uh, the OCG was so excited about the Tokyo Dome event, they billed it as the large announcement during Worlds and disappointed the entire Western community. <laughs> Yeah, my so what do you think will be like in this? I mean, just a joint live we have stream. A, there's a lot of. I know there's a kind of a drought of product announcements after a Legacy of Destruction. So if nothing else, I expect to hear about products, products, products. Yeah, I would expect some product announcements. Um, I mean, since it's, I participated in that Master Duel Invitational last year, would not be mm-hmm. surprised if there's something similar to that. 
where like there's just kind of some like invitational tournaments with players or creators or something like that. I hope if they do that, I hope they've learned from it. Yeah, I had some small qualms with how they did the experience last year, but it was Me largely. Me and the rest of the chat were trying to figure out how the points worked. That's all we were doing. Yeah, we didn't know. Yeah, I, I was in that master duel thing last year, and uh, I don't think that they explained the rule set very well. But my team did win, so I was able to. There's a trophy in here somewhere. Yeah, there's a trophy in like that closet over there, off screen. You guys don't know. I've shown it in a video before. So hopefully they'll be doing something like that again. Um, and if it's three days long. That's, like, the first time I think Konami's ever really done... I mean, technically, I guess YCS events are, like, you know, two days long or whatever, but... Like, but if it's three days long, do they intend to run 24 hours each day? No, right? There's no way. Yeah. That, There's not I, enough... I mean, what would they... What Yu-Gi-Oh! content would you... Like, for like, 72 I hours or something? Like, what would you put? They, once they do the announcements, I guess Jerome and, like, Billy hop on Master Duel and they just play for, like... 17 hours. I would love to see Jerome, Jerome McHale and Billy Break just entertain the stream. Just for just like sit there and just entertain us. Straight. No, I don't even want them to entertain. I just want them to sit there and play. Just vapid, vacant, just... How about you set the camera inside of the Konami R&D department and let us get a look oh, at that? Oh, no. And that's just on stream for... For three days, we can see the card design process. If that happened, we might actually see the Konami ninjas, and y'all don't want that kind yeah. of trouble. Yeah, they'd probably have to come and kill us all if we got to see the inside looks at how the cards are made. But, I mean, I'll be looking forward to this. Hopefully there'll be some more news about it soon. It turns out it's just Jerome shackled to a wall. He's like, he's literally cutting the cards out. <laughs> yeah, that's probably all it is. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think that Konami can pull something together and make this pretty fun. It might be a good way to cap off this 25th anniversary although i actually heard recently that apparently the 25th anniversary is just just it's, going i mean it's more of like everyone wants to think of anniversaries as a set thing and like everyone thinks an anniversary has to be the day that something important happened and then once that day passes it ends but an anniversary is really a state of mind and you know what an anniversary really is hmm? a marketing technique if you ask me and a state of mind like because I, I mean like the they, I think they're just gonna just do 25th anniversary just until like, until I, and just put it on products if until I they're am done. Celebrating my wedding anniversary, you know, with fingers crossed. Why should I have to stop celebrating it once the day passes? I can celebrate it for as long as it's marketable. I mean, as long as yeah. it, as long as I feel. It's kind of interesting. Heart. It's like the 25th anniversary has been like happening for like a year, year and a half. I guess I don't know. Anyway. Cool, tune into that. Uh, maybe there'll be something cool. You might be able to see some of your favorite people or cards or whatever on stream. Speaking of Master Duel, any news? Any Master Duels? Not really. So they're starting, uh, I think that we're supposed to be getting a second anniversary event pretty soon. I don't, mm -hmm. I've don't. i not logged in in a couple days because I was gone this past weekend. But I think that you're going to be able to get like some alternate art Blue Eyes cards and like a a blue eyes starter deck because you know the first anniversary was a dark magician starter deck and it got an alt art so just things like that but nothing particularly new on the master duel front uh well i've been playing a lot of duel links and there is duel links news okay what's going on in duel links yeah there's actually all sorts of little things so you know we've been doing our uh, seventh anniversary campaign i talked about that last week mm -hmm. but um now uh we have even more stuff like we just got a new 
Rush Duel structure deck. I know some of you guys don't care about that, but it's the Legend of Dark Magic structure. And what's interesting about it is, one, you get a reprint of Dark Magician Girl, so all you spellcaster fans can be quite happy. But also, it gives us a new a new spellcaster, Dark Sword Magician. And the strange thing about this is Dark Sword Magician's actually, like, newish in the OCG. Okay. This is kind of breaks the precedence of slow rolling us into the uh, rush duel format. Cause um, right now I think trap cards are kind of king in rush duels, at least if you're on the ladder. And this guy actually has an effect where if you have six or more spells in your graveyard, it cannot be destroyed by your opponent's effects. That's monster effects, spell effects, trap effects. So this guy actually can be really annoying to get off the board, you know, unless you can spin over him, which isn't, which isn't impossible. But, uh, yeah, so we got a new Rush Duel deck, and that's not all. Okay. We also, now these are leaks that uh, came out with the latest uh, update. We are getting a new mini box, uh, Tachyon of Galaxy. It's actually a really sick box if you know if you're a Galaxy fan because it does have the uh, Galaxy Ice Tachyon Dragon. But more importantly, and this is actually more important, uh, Doom King Bailardrock is uh, coming to Duel Links. That feels really strong for Duel Links. It, it's that the everyone thinks of Duel Links as like baby Yu Gi Oh, but Duel Links is actually kind of insane now. Like you're playing, you're kind of just playing like Yu Gi Oh, Yu Gi Oh, and Duel Links right now. They're printing Doom King. Yuna Zombie and Mizuki. Mizuki has actually never okay. been in Mizuki Duel wasn't in Duel Links? No. Interesting. Yeah, it so used to zombie, be too strong. That'll be a scary zombie deck. I mean, like Yuna Zombie just pitching like Baladrock and uh, we're Mizuki kind and of, stuff. That's crazy. We're heading into a zombie renaissance. Uh, Mayakashi is actually a really strong deck right now in Duel Links. Like, quite strong. And so now we'll have Baladrock Zombie World plays to go with it. We're really in for a great time. But there's still more to talk about. Because also, we are getting another uh, anniversary. I think this is Duel Links' quarter century event. So literally on the heels of our seventh anniversary event, we're getting a quarter century event, which means more more gems, more uh, new cards. They showed off the Blackluster Soldier Vanilla. It's coming to Duel Links. And, uh, you know, more uh, dream tickets. We saw we're getting a new pr uh, Prismatic UR dream ticket. So uh, stay tuned. Stay, stay dual linksing. Yeah, I was going to say, I did remember there's one kind of small master duel, like, bit of news. Oh. They've updated the usage rate charts. You know, these always get people in a tizzy. Mm -hmm. Cards, you know, like, what is the percentage of people playing certain cards or the top ten most played cards? And uh, Maxi's usage rate... Uh, you know, that's the card everybody likes to look at, has gone up to 95.1% from 91.7%. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hmm. You're trying to tell me there's around 5% of people not using Maxi? Apparently so. I mean, I guess like, that maybe those are like people playing like some deck where like it just literally can't be run. Like maybe like some weird deep draw Exodia thing or like maybe you wouldn't want it. I don't know. I mean, I guess I'd still probably want Maxi there. Yeah, even then, Maxie. but like you know, just like those really niche off the wall strats, or even there are sometimes people who just play like the really unga bunga combo decks, and they don't even bother. We have no space for anything. They, yeah, they, there's no space for Maxi or Ash gas. Blossom, or maybe they'll skew them in favor of like just board breakers or something, so that they can do their unga bunga combo going second anyway. 
Makes it, sense. You know, so there's different things like that. But yeah, this is, I think, the highest max C has ever been on the usage charts. Uh, it just sounds like everyone's accepting. They're just buying in. So, the, you know, people are, of course, using this as another argument for, like, why max C should be banned. Because, I mean, if, like, literally every deck is playing it, then that should be a problem, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still kind of just, like, whatever on the card. Because as far as I'm concerned, I mean... A card being played in 95% of decks is not, like, inherently a problem. Right. Like, I mean, I remember when I played Yu-Gi-Oh! in, like, 2010, everybody played Maxi. Right? Like, you just... It was just the card. Or not Maxi, but... Well, Maxi was... Uh, sorry. MST was the example <laughs> I was actually going to give. Everybody played MST uh, in, like, 2010. And you just... So, like, if you were to do a usage rate for duelists back then, MST would probably be, like, 95%. And, and that's crazy to think that MST was relevant in 2010. The game really changed fast. Yeah. Also, Ash Blossom is up to 91.1%. Uh, now, a big spike was Droll and Lockbird, which went all the way up to the number three most used slot from 27.1% to 70.5%. Oh, that's huge. You should have started with that. Yeah. Due in no small part to uh, the existence of Super Heavy Samurai. And um, probably the Manadium deck as well. It, it gets hurt really bad by Droll. Uh, you kind of have to run it to survive, mm-hmm. in the, at least in those higher ranks. So I'm not too surprised to see that. Now, Called by the Grave actually went down from 67.8% to 58%. That's a pretty steep drop. Uh, Just too many hand traps to, for your one call? Well, you get two called by in Master Duel, oh, okay. which is so crazy. There's like called by in different numbers depending on where you play. But um, I think there's actually partly too because so many people are playing Super Heavy Samurai and they actually aren't able to run Called by the Grave because they can't run spells and traps. That makes sense. Um, that I makes think sense. actually similarly, a little further down the list, Crossout Designator also went down from 54.4% to 44.3%. So that's another, and Imperm as well, 58% to 48.2%. So this is clearly like the existence of, the existence and popularity of Super Heavy Samurai is making these spell and trap staples go down in usage. Right. And um, most monsters kind of have gone up. So, kind of, it's an interesting thing. I don't know what you're really to make of it other than this is what people are playing. Um, it seems like my only problem is like when these lists come out, like people, you know, they'll publish them, they'll have a little infographic and it'll mm-hmm. get shared around on Twitter. It's not Master Duel publishing them, it's just, you know, some Master enterprising Duel individual. Something. People will always kind of be like, yeah, this is like Band Maxi, like this is the proof. But as far as I'm concerned, I mean, these are just usage numbers. Like, I don't think that they're really, um, that, like, the, the, the Master Duel dev team doesn't seem to really be heavily. A card know. being used a lot isn't indicative of being bad for the game. And even if a card has a high win rate, that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad for the game. Mm hmm. It's kind of strange. I mean, I think, like, there's also, there's, like, win rate uh, for particular cards. That's a statistic. Mm-hmm. Like, when this card was used, what was the, like, how often did the person who used that card win the game? And, like, win rate, win summon, that's another thing that they um that they have. So, it's like, you know, when a person summons Dark Strike Fighter, they win 86.3% of the time. That's the statistic for it. But so, that just makes sense, though. Certain cards only get summoned if they're going to win the game. Yeah, like Dark Trek Fighters literally only summon when the FTK is happening. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, it's. I think it's just one of those things where if you just look at the numbers, it doesn't really tell the full story. Although it's a great talking point 
but um i think a better percentage or maybe this is is um the win rate of a card even like just being in the deck regardless of whether or not it gets played or drawn or anything yeah so i'm kind of interested in like if if this is informing the ban list sort of you know decision making for the dev team Presumably, I mean, they're looking at all of it and considering mm-hmm. all of it, but um, it's just like, I, I think that I'm past the point of like caring about Maxi hitting 90. I mean, it can hit like 99% penetration rate, and I still don't think that that's necessarily why the dev team would ban it. I'm not saying the card should not, should or shouldn't be banned for other reasons, but just that I think that we should know by now that seeing this new list every month isn't I mean gonna, what if know. we endeavor to run maxi up to 100 percent? I don't think anyone has to endeavor to it feels like it's like, just gonna naturally get what there. if we as a community all just make an agreement we're all gonna run maxi in every game for a month to just bump boot to make it 100 percent just to say we did it and that might be more fun than complaining about it just use it and let it you know like use it and win or use it and lose the crazy part is you still win and lose regardless of whether or not uh, Maxi gets used, so does that really make a difference? That's an interesting statistical point, actually, is that, like, Maxi's win rate can't actually be, like, all that high when you think about mm-hmm. it. Because, like, everyone runs it, so it's actually probably... Closer to 50 Closer to, like, 50% or something, so... Uh, and then there are finally a few more Legacy of Destruction cards have been revealed just over the last few days. Mm-hmm. Kind of ran through them quickly. Valmonica and Memento yeah. and um, Centurion have all gotten... Their like kind of wave of support stuff. Did you see the one that got released today? I did. It's an illusion mm-hmm. apprentice illusion magician sort of retrain as an actual like illusion monster. Right. Um. You pitch. You can like pitch a card to summon her from hand, and mm-hmm. she searches any illusion thing you can. That's the one I'm excited for. There's a big consistency for that type. Nightmare apprentice. Yeah, nightmare apprentice. Um. So yeah, I mean, there's also like there's like a new rank ten monster I saw. Um. Oh, it's yeah. like kind of cool that thing that just destroys things yeah just destroys stuff so lots of cool legacy of destruction stuff i think legacy of destruction is shaping up to be just an exciting set for a lot of people like a lot of different like archetype supports and just things in I it i think it's a pretty heavy hitting set given that uh while phantom nightmare i think is personally a great set for me i think in i think phantom nightmare isn't going to be such a huge set in my opinion well, maybe they just both will. You think? Like, because people want, um, what is the what is the card that Snake Eye, Populous? Populous. Yeah, people want Populous from this new one and, like, Voiceless Voice. But I do think uh, Legacy of Darkness, or Legacy of Destruction will probably be slightly more popular. The, uh, I, I just feel that after um, people shelling out for bonfires and everything else, I think our res- the desire towards Populous might be a bit more muted than expected. Just because uh, there is some fatigue with people having to just buy these expensive sinful spoil engine cards. Yeah, and not everybody's even like after sinful spoils. Like sinful spoils has a pretty steep price of entry, and so I think like we might even be like this kind of zooming out in it a bit. But I think like sometimes we're always like, oh, you get so expensive right now. These bonfires, these wanted, but like. Not everybody really even wants to play. It's like playing that. Like it's easy to, I guess, look at it and think like every player is just being taxed five hundred dollars right now. Because we all have to play the one. Just everyone, you just go to your card shop and you just hand them your credit card and they take five hundred dollars. Now you're allowed to continue to play Yu Gi Oh. 
But it's not really like that. I mean, I think the vast majority of people are just excited for yeah. various things. At the shop, I heard a few different things and anecdotes going around. But I saw multiple people trade away their bonfires happily because they had absolutely no intention of using any pyro-based decks. And so they, that was a lot of value to pull out of their boxes. Smart, I would, I and would then, say. Then I heard one guy, and this is a quote, um... If Populous gets revealed as a secret rare, I think I'm taking a break from Yu-Gi-Oh. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think if Populous is secret, that'll probably be another, like, $80 card or something. And it just, it feels like it might be a little too much. Because I think for the for most competitive players, they don't care. If they're playing that deck, they're playing that deck. But I think there it will be a percentage of people who are slowly, like, they've been buying these cards painstakingly, and... The straw will break at some point if we don't chill out with all the high rarity printings for that one strategy. Yeah, I uh, I think you don't want to, no pun intended, burn players out with all these fire uh, these fire things. It I actually think the purpose will be an ultra. It's probably been revealed by the time you guys are like watching this podcast probably. or something. Because we've been um, seeing all the ultras. Have they done secrets yet for Legacy of Destruction? They've shown like voiceless voice, so we know okay. like one of theirs is a secret, and they have like two ultras. Oh yeah, like we that. saw um, low and yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. So yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think like it, it is there is like a certain amount of just fatigue around like having to get price gated out of playing really competitively. But that's what I remembered. Okay, Goblin Rider rarities. Oh yeah, was that revealed yet? Or I, I don't know if those were um, officially revealed or leaks. But I saw two secrets and two ultras for Goblin Riders. Oh, okay, they don't seem like they're getting a lot of hype. People aren't super into they're, the Goblin Riders. I don't think they win immediately. Is the problem like yeah, the, how dare what they? We, the cards we have right now aren't like oh yeah these are immediately meta relevant, but they can be. Yeah, I mean, like, how dare a Yu-Gi-Oh archetype come out and not right. win me the game right now here on the spot? But I paid my money. Their mechanic is so them, so unique it's to quite them. quite unique, yeah. I think... I still, you know, I think, like, picking up Goblin Riders will be a good call. I think I think that would be smart. It's still within the lore, which means, like, this is not the end of the support. Mm -hmm. And, um... When Konami does something where it's like, you know, you can detach from Xyz, there's probably a reason. Like, there might be, like, a big new Xyz archetype here, like, later and, uh, in the year or do, something. And I haven't read their effects in a while, but do Goblin Riders lock you into their archetype? Don't think so. If not, I mean, yeah. come on. Like, we still... An archetype that breaks down Pirelli and they can mm -hmm. effortlessly make a Zeus because they, you know, they just... They're an Xyz archetype that add and remove materials at, at yeah, a moment's notice. They can notice. make a Zeus and break a Zeus. They can mm -hmm. break an opponent, like just take its material. So, yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot to say there. Um, it'd be cool. I think that's. Is there any other, like, stray Yu Gi Oh? That's all I had. Tidbits. Cool. I'm glad because last week we talked about Yu Gi Oh so gosh darn much. I feel like uh, I'm everyone's sick of Yu Gi Oh. I'm, I'm happy to talk about a few other things as well. I think the people would not mind either. But really quickly, I will say there's one. Um, there is one thing I saw a comment like la on last week's podcast of how you can say um, like you know we were talking about how it's difficult to distinguish between like rush duels and duel links and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Somebody said that they call it um, speed duel links, rush duel links, 
speed duel uh, and like master duel and then like TCG. Okay, yeah, like so it's kind of a speed a way of saying versus speed duels and so like lately Alec has been playing duel. a lot of rush duel links, right? But okay. maybe not as much speed duel links. This you know. Also, I found uh, so I'm an idiot. I will say, I you know what we were talking I about. Agree. I don't even know what you're gonna talk about, but I agree. Thanks. We were talking about speed duels mm-hmm. and trying to find like a speed duel local or a speed duel like event. And on Neuron, they actually list speed duel events. Oh, that's so you surprised. can find card shops that have like planned, like actual, like this is an event that's going to happen, not just oh the shop sometimes has them. You have to like, take a leap of faith. And so I think that I want to go and maybe travel to whatever the largest or like kind of seemingly prominent speed duel locals is. Maybe soon. Yeah, guys, go ahead and drop your speed duel locals in the comments. Com- campaign for yourselves. You're going to make a case for it. I mean, because like, we can go. Like, that could be kind of fun. Like, just, you know. Someone starts a speed duel's locals just because we said this. I'm like, look, Team APS, we have the largest speed duel locals. It's a one-day thing where they got everyone to buy into it. Yeah, so. Um, it's a 50-man tournament. So, I don't know, just thought that would mention that real quick. But anyway, on to the other news that's happening today. Lots of it. Yeah, I've got a few card game stories. Okay, yeah, so we'll start with card game, I guess, and then uh, get into other things. So what do you got? All right, so first I'll start off with uh, MTG. Um, for once, it's not AI. Who would have thought? Good to hear. The... Um so you might remember in a previous pod, I mentioned they made changes to the uh, secret layer program at for MTG, where they were going from a make to order. Uh, yeah, what, what's the what's the phrase? Uh, produce to where they made as much as they as orders they got, and they were switching over to a um, kind of a drop system where it's a limited time, get your order in now type situation. Well, the latest secret layer came out, and it sold out in a few hours. This was their kind of cats and dogs secret layer, so it had a lot of popularity just from dog owner, cat owners. And, uh, yeah, in only a few hours, that secret layer was sold out. So, um, yeah, if you wanted that secret layer, it was, it's already, it was already gone, which is, so this is the first time we've used that model, and, you know, a lot of people got left out. Yeah. Now, we'll have to see if... Now, do the people who got their orders in, will they get their orders sooner? Cause I, yeah. I would hope so. Like, But, uh, yeah, we're just gonna, we're going to wait to see uh, how this shakes out, how satisfied people are with the new secret layer change. Just right now, I just am upset to see another thing becoming a drop, becoming a limited release. Yeah, when I was reading the comments about that secret layers change, it seemed like people were... Man, I, I was reading it. I couldn't really get a, a, a consistent pulse check on how people felt about it because I did see people that were saying things like, well, it's better to be kind of like a, you quickly get your order in and like that's it. What was the... There's like some reason that people would cite of why like this change seemed good on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I guess... I mean, difficult. I'll just keep my eyes on the story and see how it develops over time. Just wanted to give you guys a small update. Yeah, what is on the that. what is the name of that secret layer? Oh, is yeah. that Clue? No, no, no. This is a uh, raining cats and dogs. Oh. It's a cat and dog uh, secret layer where you get a bunch of you get cat centric and dog centric cards. Oh, okay. What is the Clue thing? I've so heard... actually, that was my next story. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. So the next story I have is 
Magic the Gathering's Clue crossover is a strangely compelling mix of both games. So uh, in the latest or the, the upcoming set, uh, Murders at Karlov Manor, I'm not sure if I even said that correctly, it, there's this kind of murder mystery theme to that set. And it was not lost on anybody, the like sheer amount of kind of clue references in the, uh, in the cards themselves. Well, they decided, Wizards of the Coast doubled down on that. And they made a Jumpstart-like product, Jumpstart being their kind of um, kind of sealed play kit that you can just kind of jump into with a bunch of friends who don't need to know that much about magic. And they've combined it with the game of Clue. So it's called Magic the Gathering Ravnica Clue Edition. Okay. And it's a sealed box meant for uh, four players. And you play a mix of magic and clue where it's a magic game but there are there are hidden cards that were ones like a murderer a weapon and a location oh okay. and over the course of the game you can win by just beating all your opponents like in a normal magic game but you can also win by guessing who did it how they did it and where they did it that sounds fun i would like to maybe give that a shot i mean i uh don't know how to play Magic for too much, but... Um, it's one of the simplest card games. I've played Clue, so... It, I thought it was a really cool spin on the Jumpstart product. I was actually... Um, I was actually, I actually sent it to Larry, like, hey, we gotta, we, we gotta try this. Yeah, I'm sure Larry would love to try that. He's a big board game fan, so... Um, it's neat. I mean, like, it's... I'll say this. In a world where, like, Magic's been doing all these weird collabs, this is the first one that feels like it's actually, like, bringing something mm-hmm. kind of different to the table. Like, literally, like, mechanically different and like, how you engage with the game as opposed to maybe just being, like, the Marvel collab or whatever. And uh, it looks like it's one of those, it's like a sealed play experience where you can reseal it and then play this game again. And because the, the hidden cards will change every time, like in a game of Clue, it's a the same game but a new mystery every time yeah okay cool yeah i, I think that it, actually that reminds me i was thinking that it'd be neat if like you had like a sealed play like a deck building like the a closest box. thing we have to our the speed dual box yeah i guess we have that like so that's it's... our that's our we're nowhere i don't think you is anywhere close to like collabing with any other like major properties in that way it'd be nice though Okay, cool. Any other magic things? That's it for magic. That's it for magic. Well, here's one that could uh, affect a very popular digital card game. Riot Games announced the end of Riot Forge and more after laying after laying off 530 employees. So, um, yeah, Riot Games has shared news about laying off roughly 530 staff, which is approximately 11% of the developer's total workforce. Mm -hmm. League of Legends and Valorant developer Riot Games came forward with the announcement of new layoffs with a uh, broader company refocus. So um, the company explained how it's taking steps to focus on areas that players are invested in while reducing its commitment to areas that aren't having as much impact. Ah, okay. They're downsizing. Yeah. The adjustments we're making aim to focus on the areas that have the greatest impact on your experience while reducing investment on things that don't. Which really it means is what's making the most money and what isn't. Yeah. So um, the two projects that will be most heavily affected by these changes 
are the Runeterra card game, Legends of Runeterra, mm-hmm. and Riot Forge. Which I don't know what Riot Forge I'm is. I'm not familiar with Riot Forge at all. Um, so yeah, Riot announced that Riot Forge would be ceasing new game development after the release of its sixth title, Bandle Tale, A League of Legends Story. The Forge was a partnership program that saw indie developers pair up to create mm. single-player ga- titles that told stories from the League of Legends universe. So, of course, they'd probably be the first to go. That's 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 lame. That's lore. Yeah. Um, we're proud of what we've done together to bring these stories to life, but it's time to refocus our efforts on the ambitious projects underway internally at Riot. So, um, additionally, Riot's card game, Legends of Runeterra, will be moving towards sustainability over new updates. So, Interesting. Uh, the devs cited financial challenges as the reason behind this, with the game moving more towards the PvE Path of Champions mode to allow the remaining team to experiment more in that space. I wonder, because usually like card game, digital card games are quite profitable, but I guess that wasn't the case with Runeterra? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they... I don't, so I don't play Runeterra, as always. If anyone in the comments does, please feel free yeah, to... fill us in. Fill us in a little bit on this. Um, it's interesting to hear that they're like caring more, I guess, about PVE. I, I don't know, like, so it makes it sound like maybe they're not going to be releasing as many like new cards or maybe like balance patches, or maybe it's like less I of think, a focus uh, on the just competitive scene. If you take out PVP, which they didn't necessarily say they're removing PVP, yeah, but if you focus on PVE, that gives you the freedom to kind of design whatever cards you want. If the only thing the player has to interact with is a computer, you can print crazy busted things just because you don't have to f- worry about the game becoming unbalanced. Yeah, so I thought this was kind of neat. Uh, I've never... It, that's a really unfortunate for, like, I mean, like, 530 staff members being laid off Yeah, that is, that is tragic. But that's I mean, 11% that's, of the entire company. That's corporations. That's the... Uh, that's the, that's the One of the biggest downsides to getting, like, a corporate job is somebody in a suit can say... Uh, we're letting you go for efficiency's sake. Yeah, here's what here's a little quote from their press release. For most of our history, we've managed to avoid days like this, but this decision is critical for the future of Riot. This isn't to appease shareholders or to hit a quarterly earnings number. It's a necessity. Over the past few years, as Riot more than doubled in headcount, we spread our efforts across more and more projects without sharp enough razors to decide what players needed most. Mm-hmm. The adjustments we're making aim to focus us on the areas that have the greatest impact on your experience while reducing investments on things that don't. So um, they even acknowledge that um, we recognize that many of you don't just care about the games you play, but also about the people who make them. These are not just organizational changes. They affect individuals and families, and we do our best to approach these decisions with respect and sensitivity. Um, they even shared the email that they sent to their employees. So that's kind of an interesting thing. That's a weird thing. So you sent the same e- email to all the employees you laid off? I mean, it's 500, so I guess. Well, I guess they have to send the same really thing. Put a but, you know, there's this, there's this new trend now on the internet of like the inter- that email would leak anyway. Mm-hmm. And like people, once it's leaked, then people will say, like, wow, this is so insensitive of them, or wow, this is such a so like. So in this way, they're getting out ahead of it. Yeah, so. Um, Guys, take a look at what we use to fire five hundred people. It's it's weird. It's almost it feels like you're committing murder and then you're showing off the murder weapon. Like guys, look what we used. It's a I mean it's better I guess caliber. to show off the murder weapon than have people find the murder weapon like with the blood on it, you know. Right. The smoking the, the, the literal smoking gun. The smoking gun or whatever. So it's like I don't 
you know, I don't know. But yeah, Legends of Runeterra and Riot Forge are seemingly the ones that um, are going to they get the be affected the most. Well, not get the axe, but just be affected oh, the I most. Oh, I meant the employees. Yeah, the employees. And I mean, I don't know what type of employees these were. I don't know if these were developers themselves. I don't know if these were like people working on art or like marketing or... It was whoever they thought was expendable. But yeah, so it seems like a lot of them did get laid off. At least they made it past Christmas. Yeah. That's, some companies can't claim that. Yeah, some yeah, sometimes they people get fired in like November, December. So yeah, that's just a little update a little wizard from, stray. from them. Uh anyways, back to you. So I've got some Pokemon stories. Okay. Yeah, um you'd think that there would be a lack of stories about Pokemon cards being stolen, but oh, uh, never. there just never is. <clears throat> Why do they take this time? Pokemon cards reportedly stolen from Van Gogh Museum by several employees. So, when it was announced that Pokemon would be creating the Van Gogh-style cards back in September 2023, fans were instantly obsessed. Players, collectors, and scalpers alike quickly headed to the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam and brought the sets brought and bought the sets in insta- instantly. They, they typed brought, but causing plenty of disappointment from those who missed out. Since it was a rare set, many began selling them at much higher prices, with some cards pulling in around $100 on eBay. Many fans predicted this, and reportedly so did the employees working in the Van Gogh Museum, as it's now been revealed that at least four workers have been suspended after exhibition misconduct, as reported by Het Parole. So the employees stole some cards? Yeah, they did. They, they, okay, they're going to like spin them on... Because, like, you remember the whole Van Gogh Pikachu debacle, how people were just rushing to buy these things. There were fights near riots. Yeah. Uh, it, it makes perfect sense. I mean, not that it's, like, a good thing that the employees did it, but it makes, like, this is not a... I'm not surprised to hear this is probably what I should say. It's... There's something... This is weird... I don't know, hip, weird hypocritical or juxtaposition. The idea that the, this little Pikachu, this little yellow mouse with red cheeks would inspire criminal acts multiple times. I mean, it really speaks to just, like, partly the, you know, cultural impact of Pokemon, but also just the damage that I think was done in that 2020 Pokemon boom. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it was just the damage that's been done to, like, you know, people will steal, they'll get violent. There's, like, you know, been the rise of drop culture, as we know, and, Can't like, just the it. limited availability of these things and so can't say i'm surprised uh that that's really unfortunate i mean it was unfortunate when they had to end the thing to begin with like yeah. where they weren't able to because like did, museum employees it was deemed were getting unsafe <laughs> yeah it was deemed unsafe museum employees were like being harassed and stuff but maybe they should have been if they were stealing i mean it's probably different ones i know yeah i would hope it was they said only it was at least four so, so there's probably like 10 yeah like, you know 10 employees are like taking things the four that got caught and the other the others that were just kind of turning the other cheek or the a blind eye you might say okay cool uh and then i have this kind of um article except it's referencing like tweets oh, okay that's a story. is it pokemon thing? it is pokemon okay so uh, this is the Pokemon TCG community is getting creeped out by suggestive V-Star markers. Now, we in the Yu-Gi-Oh! community are actually quite uh, familiar with such a concept. Suggestive V-Star yes. markers? 
What are so, V-Star? Is, that, is it like a token or something? Yeah, the V-Star markers are these little kind of tokens you can use to denote you have not used your V-Star ability this game. You can only V-Star abilities are quite strong, and, and you can only use one per game. Okay. And your opponent couldn't forget have you had you or had you not used one. So the token is to show that, oh, I have not. So watch out. Okay, so what are people saying? <laughs> so it's all about this tweet. Uh, this is after the Charlotte Regional. I believe we actually saw it on TV this past weekend. Yeah. So many positives from Charlotte, but I have to mention one negative. I've noticed an uptick in players using hypersexualized images of women as V-star markers. This is very unfortunate and not fit for our game, and we wonder why a lot of women are uncomfortable at events. So were they allowed to use these on stream? I don't think they or used them on like, stream. But just in but general, they were there. They were using them at tables. And they go on to talk about how, you know, in the masses division, there are children, there are women, and there are still TCG players showing up with these very sexual markers because they don't fall within tournament regulation. You can't use hypersexualized mats. And you can't use hypersexualized sleeves, but since V-Star markers are new, they're not actually within the regulations. What a freaking boring story. <laughs> and by boring, I mean, like, it's just, it's so annoying that people, <sighs> gamers, God, like, is act right, I always, I mean, I just, like, st- there are kids at the events, like, behave, leave that, I mean, leave that shit at home. Like that's that's gonna, I I know I like, I might have pissed someone off with that. Leave that shit at home. There's just not really any. You know, there's no place for it. You, I, I don't know when people got it in their head that like bringing, you know, some lewd half naked anime girl Matt or whatever to to the local card shop to to it's, like how that's fun or self expressive. I mean, there's like kids there. It's tell. It's all about that whole. The culture of the card shop being a boys club, things always get a little sideways when you let enough guys get together for long enough periods where they get really comfortable. Yeah, I mean, and it's not every card shop, but some card shops are such boys clubs that you can walk around with nigh pornographic materials, and you'll get you'll get a like you'll get some high fives, some laughs, a few cringes, but that's just the card shop culture there. Yeah, and a lot of people forget themselves when they go to tournament. Like, hey, this is no longer your. It's not your. Little this fun is not the locker room locker anymore. Room boys club thing. Yeah, I mean, I honestly think like I know like Yu Gi Oh's done a pretty good job of like cutting a lot of that out. Like mm-hmm. they've banned deck boxes and like a lot of mats and stuff, and they made it where like you can't use little kinky token card images yeah. and stuff. You have to you know actually use proper tokens. I think you should be able to call a judge personally. Like I think like if because if you sit down to play and like someone whips out you know half naked anime girl mat or something or whatever that they're using, you should really be able to like judge and like call them over and just be like, yeah, this. Just the issue, at least for the Charlotte Regional, was because there was no rule against it. There was no judge call to be made. There was no rule for a judge to actually. Because well, if it had be, been a mat, if it had been a mat or sleeves, they would have been, been so, able to. See, and, and that's another thing too. Is just like one of these things where it's like, okay, let's take the the little thing that hasn't been regulated yet and sexualize that. Yeah. Like we can't use like sleeves or mats that are lewd. Well, darn it! I'm going to find a way to push the rules, push the boundaries. I mean, we saw what happened almost immediately with the field center token boom in the Yu-Gi-Oh! space. 
you know, we needed field centers when links came out because our zones started to matter and not every playmat had zones on it. And we didn't have official field centers, which that's on Konami for not having at the time, not having them. People almost immediately start bringing all sorts of wild fan art as uh, as their little field center tokens. Yeah, I think that's uh, it's just not good. Like, I'm pretty sure, like Pokemon being Pokemon, they'll get this sorted out pretty fast. I don't, I don't have really yeah. any doubts that they'll probably have a, a policy update very soon. Because I mean, lots of parents bring their kids. Uh, there's lots, and there's lots of there's. I think there's a lot more like girls in that space as well. Where like. You know, I don't think they should have to be reminded just how hypersexualized they are by society when they're sitting down to play a card game. I agree. I think that the sooner that, honestly, the sooner the better that they get rid of this. <laughs> I just don't don't allow people to have like, that. Guys, like, y'all, you can have what you want. Just, you know, leave keep it, it to home. yourself. I say leave that stuff at home. Like, uh, you can play that at the kitchen table with your bros and be weird about it or whatever, I guess. But, you like... Know. And I, I, I never understood the idea of like bringing that and showing it off to people. It, it all. It I always, that, that gives a worse image of who you are than. I never quite get it. It reminds me a bit of um, how guys will go to the strip club together. It's like, uh, I don't know. Why do we want to both be aroused together? Yeah, I think just it's not really good. So. Um, especially like in Pokemon in particular, even more so than like a Magic or a Yu-Gi-Oh. It is like Pokemon. It, is like the, the audience would skew the younger, most so. looted franchise in history. Also, sadly true. That is very but, sad. Uh, well, any other card game stories? That's all I have for card games. Well, it's a great segue into the game that is being compared to Pokemon right oh, now. Oh, good. I was going to bring it up too. Yeah, Pal World. Yeah, so guys. I'm sure you've heard about this. I think we explaining this to them is pointless. Yeah, everybody's everyone heard about knows it. about Pal World. So, just a quick and dirty explanation is this is this new game that's released on like Xbox Game Pass and Steam and stuff, mm-hmm. and it's sort of a survival style game, a bit of a mix. There's like with heavy Pokemon influences. Yeah, there's like sort of some survival aspects and shooting and like training and uh, building construction sort of things like survival monster hunter Pokemon. I feel yeah. like those are the genres here. And so there's been a lot I of controversy around this game. game. First and foremost, though, it sold really well. It surpassed, yeah. I think, 7 million sales. Um, and it's got plenty of active players right now. Lots of active players, broken some Steam records for active players in the last year or whatever. Um, lots of content creators playing it. Mm-hmm. And the big controversies around it are kind of, there's a few. The first big one is that it seems heavily, heavily, heavily inspired by Pokemon, the designs Which, of the creatures. To me, that wouldn't be a problem if the uh, if it was just inspired by Pokemon. Yeah, some people feel that it's, you know, ripping them off. Others people other people feel like it's just, well, you know, Pokemon ripped other things off in the past too. There are a lot of Pokemon that are directly inspired by like games like Dragon Quest to creatures, for instance. Mm-hmm. The second thing is that the developers are um, some of the developers have been associated with like crypto related games, NFT related yeah, games. I saw that as well. Um, and you know, supporting AI, I mean, like things they, they use new technologies, yeah. NFTs are fun, uh, they're not, but you know, so that's kind of been a thing. Like, it seems like maybe some of the developers might be a bit shady in that regard, if you consider mm. that to be less than ethical. And then also, there are people who are saying that this is like what Pokemon should be, and so they are, you know, coming after Pokemon fans and saying that, like, you know. Your game's crap. This is the new kid on the block. Pokemon will be gone 
by the end of the month. All right, relax. Okay. Yeah, I know it's uh, so. But um, so that's like some of the stuff people are saying. Have I missed any? No, you. I think you pretty much covered it. The uh, I want to give a quick anecdote about my experience with Power World. Okay. So um, you know we're no we're no strangers to you know the Pokemon Killer of the Year type situation. Yeah. It's happened a few times before. They never killed Pokemon. When when Power World was first shown off. I was like, oh, this looks interesting. But I, I didn't know why I was so interested. I'd seen other Pokemon killers, but this one was the one where I was like, hmm, there's something about these monsters. Yeah. Like, I, I just... They looked cool I, I kinda and wanna, like, like fun. I was like, I want to try this out. But then I, I was like, but I, I kind of don't want to try this out. And I couldn't quite put my finger on why I was drawn to the monsters, but also was kind of didn't want to jump in. And it's because the monsters actually are just Pokemon mixed to like amalgamations of different Pokemon. Like it, yeah. it's almost it feels criminal how you can point to any one pal and you can directly find the Pokemon that comprised its body. Yeah. Um. So I mean, the big conversation is just like, is that okay? Like, is it okay that that's the case? And, you know, like, frankly, I'm not sure if it's, like, objectively bad that the, that they look like Pokemon. Um, it's just... Maybe I should be... Uh, so where I'm coming from from this mm-hmm. is this is a game I'm never going to play. Right. So I not because I don't like it, not because I think that they're unethical, not because of that. He just doesn't have 26 that. bucks, yeah. But, yeah, I'm too poor to buy it, apparently. And also, no, I, I'm, I don't really play these games. I don't really care that much for the genre. I don't... Like, these sort of survival building shooting games aren't my thing, and I don't play that many games to begin with. So, my opinion is that of more of an outsider in that, like, I don't have some vested interest in this game doing well or it failing. Like, it won't, you know, I don't think there's any, like, big morality thing at play here. Mm -hmm. But um, what I found when I have just seen, like, footage and stuff of the game is mostly this looks like kind of an asset flip. Yeah. Like, with that, that can be said of mini games, but, um, a lot of the graphics, the animations, they seem, you know, very stock. Um, stock, you know, graphics, sound effects, things like that. So it certainly seems like a bit of a cheap game. And it seems like it kind of throws a lot at the wall, like in terms of there's, gameplay mechanics. There's so many mechanics in just one game. It's, I don't there's know. a lot you can do. But I don't think that's necessarily bad. I mean, like some would view that as like it's a very sloppy, like just we didn't care. We just kind of threw it all in. Other people would say, well, that might be what makes it an enticing game because like for a younger audience, for instance, a lot of kids love having many different things to do. You yeah, shoot, you fight, you catch, you build, you, you know, little Jimmy can always be kind of busy catching his creatures and throwing his creatures and beating them up and catching more and building stuff and making fires. It's crazy the way that if you don't have a weapon, you just kind of like swing on them. Yeah. People have called it Pokemon with guns. So yeah. Cause and you can even give them guns. It seems you can even shoot enough, them despite guns. the very clear inspirations of the Pokemon or the pals or whatever. Um, I think like it's the weirdest thing that about comparing them is mostly that these are two very different genres of games. Yeah, unlike most Pokemon clones, they don't actually copy which the one of the main parts of Pokemon is the Pokemon battle system that many games have copied that even you could even argue they copied that from someone else. But yeah. anyway, that Pokemon battle system is so uniquely tied to you to Yu-Gi-Oh! to Pokemon 
that they, I mean, they didn't use that at all. So in some ways, it's not like Pokemon at all. Yeah, like people are calling it a Pokemon killer. Um, I mean, they're different genres. So like, I don't know about that part. I think that the comparisons being drawn are just because of the visual inspirations and the mm-hmm. game maybe feeling like it's creatively bankrupt is what I've uh, heard someone say. That's but, what I would call it. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't. I guess I'm I'm inclined to probably to not like hate this game outright until I hear maybe like if it comes out that there have been like assets stolen or you know something like that comes out about it then I guess I would have more of a reason to dislike it. Right now I think it's just a game that like, will probably like more than anything be a bit of a fad. Yeah, I don't think it's gonna pass. I don't I don't see Pal World sticking around just because I think you actually need creativity to make it in this world as far as gaming and like art goes. And I don't feel any of that from power world. It just, it feels devoid of that. Yeah. I think it won't just because like I, and this isn't, there's nothing against power world or people who like it or any of that, but it just seems like we're actually at a point now where I think it's kind of hard for new games to like last longer than a month. It's tough. It just, because I mean, if you look at like how like last year's gaming cycle went, so like every month or so, just a new kind of, Thing that you are supposed the social zeitgeist of gaming is like this game for this month and this game for this mm-hmm. month. And this game like you're supposed to care about Zelda and now you're supposed to care about Armored Core and then you're supposed to care about Baldur's Gate and then you're supposed to care about like you know whatever else and it's like no one can really stick to anything for very long. Like sure, it's got a really inflated amount of interest right now, but like there's also nothing else happening right now in gaming. Look, I'll play Power when Power World Two comes out. So. Yeah, and that's kind of the thing. Now, good for them. I'm glad that they have gotten the sales. They have apparently, the developers have said that, like, they're going to, they've outlined what their next set of releases and stuff will be in early access. That's another thing. The game is still in early access. But you paid 20 bucks for it. Yeah, which always raises an eyebrow for me, too. I don't know how I feel about, like, I know a lot of games love to sort of say that they're, like, in early access, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know if that's like meant to be like a bit of a scapegoat for when things go wrong. Yeah, if it's in early access, if anything goes wrong, hey, you like, yeah, this it was wasn't. It was like it's like in beta, or like it wasn't finished. It's not done so. yet. The the, fi- the final version, you know, it's coming out soon. Well, here's something that does relate a little bit more to um, our neck of the woods. Somebody has made it's inspired fan made trading cards. They made PAL trading cards. Wow. So, um, this person on Reddit, uh, Trevor Woodham. I'm going to design and draw a Power World trading card every day. Uh, day one was this PAL called Fox Sparks, which looks a lot like a Flareon or a not Vulpix or something. Um, here you can have a little quick look. Okay, that looks so, like a monster. So, yeah, I mean, I guess this is cool. A fan is sort of trying to turn it into, turn it into trading cards. Neat. Um, it just goes to show that the at least from the consumer point of view, the line between Power and Pokemon is quite blurry. Yeah, because uh, I saw a story about a Pokemon mod for Power World. Yeah, I saw that too. The uh, yes, they, someone had announced that they were making a Pokemon mod for Power World, where they, the Powers really like Pokemon then, and they've already got a DMCA from Nintendo. Yeah, I was gonna say, I think you got to be careful with that. Um, that that sort of thing will pretty quickly like Nintendo doesn't really play around with those sorts of things, and also I think like Power World itself, like the game, probably needs to distance itself from those sorts of mods. 
They do. Like, so that it's not associated with how someone's working on a Digimon so. one as well. That seems fun. Yeah, that yeah. one hasn't had a DMC yet, DMCA yet, but give it give it a couple seconds. Is it interesting actually that I think that it, a Digimon mod feels more fitting? Well, like, the given Digimon the, world is a bit rougher. Yeah, the Digimon world, like people kind of they fight with the Digimon a little bit. I mean, bit. when the Digimon attack, they're trying to kill those children. It's not like, oh, I'm going to shock them a little bit. No, it's they're trying to murder them. Right. Yeah. So, um, I actually have another one where the Pal the Pal World devs. Respond to the potential of a Nintendo lawsuit. Oh, what did they say? No, they say they are not. They are not worried in the slightest. As far as they're concerned, they've passed every legal check that can be made, and they have gotten no notices or anything from Nintendo as of uh, the day this article was posted, which was well yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I don't doubt that. I I think that at its base level, there is not really anything that you can like easily fight like obviously nintendo could if they wanted to but so far since like they're different i think that what i actually dislike the most about the whole power world situation is and it always comes down to this it isn't actually power world itself like whether you like power world or not is kind of up to you it's that people are arguing people on the mm-hmm. internet of course are using this as an excuse to bash pokemon fans like, Pokemon fans yep. are bashing Power World, and Power World fans are bashing Pokemon fans. People versus people. And it's another, like, people against people problem where instead of, you know, really even talking about the games anymore, we're kind of more so just talking about what it means if you like, you know, Pokemon. Like, you're if you like Pokemon, you love giving Game Freak 60 bucks every year for a terrible, unfinished game. Mm-hmm. Or if you play Power World, then you just like plagiarism and thieves and ai and nfts and it kind of i think we're losing the mark at the idea that these are just these are two fairly different quite different really games really if any like honestly you're both doing fine who's suffering are 2k and fifa players yeah they have all those things or runeterra players one so yeah that's power world um i'd love to hear in the chat uh what do you guys think of power world you're playing it you like it do you think statistically it's... speaking they've probably all played it yeah i think everyone's it's, played it it's or extremely it. popular so is it the second coming of pokemon and we will be playing this in 10 years or will we be playing pokemon in 10 years and power world will be a stain on the steam store i don't know i'm still buying pokemon games i don't care what anyone says yeah, maybe buy them both. It's, who's to say you got to pick a side? For yeah. some people, they Someone's might all, just... People are already buying a $20 early access game. Sure, you buy yeah, I mean, one too. Surely... You'll probably buy anything at this point. Yeah, sounds like Alec. I'm a, not... Yeah, I got some snake oil in my bag. So you're not a too big a fan of Power World, it sounds like. Nah, I'm not. You're not. But I'm not, I'm not actually critical of Power World players and enjoyers. I may, I may sound like I am, but uh, if games don't have to be creative to be fun, you know, so. Well... Anywho, uh, that's the information for Power World. Well, listen, I'll tell you something. What you got? Uh, that you do need to get a little more comfortable with. No. Ubisoft know. exec says gamers need to get comfortable, his word, not owning their games for subscriptions to take off. Oh, hey, wow. Yeah, so this is an interesting one. An executive at Assassin's Creed maker Ubisoft has said gamers will need to get, quote, comfortable not owning their games before video game subscriptions can truly take off. Speaking to discuss the launch of Ubisoft's new Ubisoft Plus Premium and Ubisoft Plus Classics subscriptions, mm-hmm. Philip Tremblay, director of subscriptions at Ubisoft, explained to GI Biz what needs to happen before subscription services become a significant slice of the video game business. Yeah, he says, um, 
I don't have a crystal ball, but when you look at the different subscription services that are out there, we've had a, a rapid expansion over the last couple of years, but it's still relatively small compared to other models. So we're seeing expansion on console as the likes of PlayStation and Xbox bring new people in. On PC, from a Ubisoft standpoint, it's already been great, but we're looking to reach out more on PC, so we see opportunity there. Here's where the juicy parts come in. One of the things we see is that gamers are used to, a little bit like DVD, having and owning their games. That's the consumer shift that needs to happen. They got comfortable not owning their CD collection or DVD collection. Right. That's a transformation that's been a bit slower to happen in games. As gamers grow comfortable in that aspect, you don't lose your progress. If you resume your game at another point, your progress file is still there. That's not been deleted. You don't lose what you've built in the game on your or your engagement with the game. So it's about feeling comfortable with not owning your game. I still have two boxes of DVDs. I definitely understand the gamer's perspective with that. But as people embrace that model, they'll see that those these games will exist, the service will continue, and you'll be able to access them when you feel like. And that's reassuring. All right, so what do you think? Are you comfortable with not owning your games? Uh, so I guess it's the boomer in me that says no, but he makes a good point. I can't lie to him. I dude was spitting. Like we went from DVDs and and then a brief period with Blu-rays to now we just stream everything, and I think more people than not are comfortable without owning movies and TV shows. So I guess video games can really just go the same way. Yeah, this kind of brings me back to that. Uh there's always that conversation about like, you know, do you want to physically own your games? Do you mm-hmm. want to like have the case and the disc and do you, what do you, do you like owning? I mean, it your... takes up space. So like I play so many games I don't own at this point. I can't actually claim that that's an important thing to me. Yeah. So I was going to say, I think, I think like all the games that I do play, which is only a few, but you know, the games that I play, I don't own, I guess. Like I, I don't own copies of, you know, like Final Fantasy fourteen. that's, like, one of the ones mm-hmm. I play. Or, like, you know, I like Hogwarts Legacy or Sonic. Now, I think know, about Super it, Stars in the last week, I haven't played a single game that I actually own. I may have paid for them. I may have, like, yeah. paid something for them, but, but I don't them, own like, them. You have them, like, digitally. Yeah. Like, just don't. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, then. I think with gamers, there's this idea that they want to own the thing. But, really, like, if you've been gaming in the last five years, you probably have played at least one game you just don't own. And so, you maybe you don't, in your head, rationalize it that way, mm-hmm. but it is the case. Even if you're a console player, if you have one of those digital consoles, you don't actually own any of those games. You yeah. paid for, essentially, a license to play them. It's interesting, too, because... Um, or just, I guess, like, a, a point to make, to be made is that, like, usually it's cheaper to buy the digital-only version of... A, like, the PS5, for instance. Mm-hmm. Like, the digital PS5 is, like, cheaper. So, I mean... And a lot of people just want to get what's cheaper. Yeah. And there are, like, benefits to the digital thing. You don't have to go to GameStop. You don't have to go to Walmart and, like, and drive in the rain or the heat or whatever. And so like, to be fair, you're probably going to end up at Walmart at some point in your life. True. You know, so you don't have to, like, go and, like, pick up the game on release day. In fact, nowadays with the games, like, digitally, you can usually access them a few hours earlier the than moment, you might be able true, to. because you don't have to wait for a store to open. You can just midnight hit <clears throat> download or midnight hit play. Um, now, one thing that has come up, though, is, like, video game preservation. Um, as this article points out, as more games go down the digital route or rely on an internet connection to work, mm-hmm. so does the risk that these games are lost to time when their servers are shut down. So, um, yeah, that that's a true one. I mean, I like... Mean, it's a, yeah, it is a bit more difficult. 
I think that that's like something that I that I think about when that happens is like, well, I think some games are meant to be experienced and then just not anymore, whereas yeah. other games I think are meant to be like kept. So like I think a single player game might be something that you would want to revisit five, ten, twenty years later, right? Like so something you enjoyed as a kid. But I think of a game like maybe a Fortnite or something. Where maybe, like, obviously, I, I'm not saying, like, Fortnite's going to end tomorrow. But just, like, with Fortnite, when it does end, I don't know that maybe people would even want to... I think people would want I mean, to, like, be able to still play online. But is there, like, a single-player component that, like, moved you a story that, like, was... I mean, no. But, yeah, look at something like, uh, what's it called? RuneScape. They specifically went back and brought back their, own, like... Retro RuneScape, whatever it's called, because people were like, "Man, I just really miss playing old school RuneScape." Like, can we get that back? Is it gone? Is it really gone? No. Okay, let's, let's put the yeah. service back. I heard. Um, this reminds me too. I don't have the story for it, but I heard like the 3ds and Wii U eShop are supposed to be like shutting down soon. Oh yeah, yeah. So um, that's Those gonna games, affect in a sense lost of time. Yeah, so a lot of stuff that's on there would I guess be lost of time if you haven't but, uh, maybe transferred it. So. Maybe we'll hit like the like where we are with the streaming wars now. We'll hit that place with with video games where these streaming companies will open up and they will buy the rights to different games and then they'll put up their own servers for those games. I mean, that's what that's kind of what like Game Pass and the play like it's similar to what they've kind of got going. PC doesn't technically have that like in the mainstream because i mean with steam you're still like buying individual games mm-hmm. and there's not like a steam plus where you just pay like 30 bucks a month and have like i could imagine i could imagine a company where now through some work they'd have to work to do this but um they pride themselves on having online retro games and they they work they work their asses off to get licenses and they host servers for all sorts of just older like multiplayer games, and they they'll ha- and they have like 120 of them. You can play you can play everything from like an old Battlefield to NBA 2K, uh, yeah, whatever. It's whatever your favorite old games are. But then even then, like, will those last forever? Like, will the server? What happens when you know? I mean, sometimes you know, with like modern day streaming, sometimes TV shows, they, you know, they'll disappear from the internet. In a sense, you know, there's always pirating piracy. But like when no streaming service has a show or a movie, in a sense, it is gone. It can always come back. But yeah, for a while it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Which I guess also brings up the question of like piracy. Like does, with quotes like this, you know, does that make it okay to pirate these things, some would ask. And, uh, or does it make it like, you know, okay to like keep your... Like create a copy for yourself. Of right. I mean, piracy is never okay, but I mean, stop us. No, yeah. no, no. no. I, I don't know. I I know a guy who has a copy of all of his favorite movies on Blu-ray. He doesn't need them, but he has them. Yeah, I um, this on a hard drive somewhere in his closet. I think people are just gonna. It's gonna be a. It's gonna be a fight. I. It's not one that I currently can say I feel strongly about either way, but um, that's only because it doesn't currently like affect me. Right. I don't like play a lot of games, and I don't. You know, I mean, I guess I stream anime, but I don't need. I don't feel the need to like have 
physical versions like of a lot of it. If but, um, there was an official, if there's an official licensed, uh, let's call, let's say Melee, some service, maybe maybe even Nintendo offers it, and it's like a subscription based thing where it's like, all right, you can play Melee now, but you gotta go to, you gotta use our site, and you gotta pay our price. Would that would that be a draw for you? I would probably do it. Yeah, I mean, this is also, but I'm like, for what it's worth, I'm the person who like will play like Yu-Gi-Oh Master Duel, and I, I just don't want to play, play like, like Dueling Book, Pro. Okay. Pro. Yeah. I, I like kind of first party things, so that kind of pulls me away from gotcha other stuff like that. Not, it's not always one to one. It's just kind of you know case by case basis. But anywho, I just thought that was an interesting headline. Uh, gamers need to get comfortable not owning their game. So, are you guys comfortable? Those listening. Are you comfortable you know not owning what I am comfortable with? What this news from the MCU? Okay, we're back to the MCU, are we? We're not here for long now. Uh, so Wilson Bethel's bullseye is returning for Daredevil: Born Again. I heard that was a rumor. Well, is that true? They're or? saying it's confirmed, and this this but this Who's is comicbook.com. Like, okay, I well, I don't love this website when they when usually when they claim something's concerned, they do have a source. In this case, it I can't find the source, but I will choose to believe them. In this case, I mean, yeah, that would make sense. That was um, Bullseye. He was at the he was in Daredevil season three, mm-hmm. and at the end, there is kind of like a post credits suggestion that even though Daredevil beat him in that season, that he would be like you know, I guess. I mean, he was getting some modifications. Yeah, he he was. That was really just that was like season zero Bullseye. Now we're gonna get you know real Bullseye. Yeah, I mean, that's cool. It's one more little neat piece of information. I don't think we talked about it on here, but they did confirm that uh, Foggy Nelson and Karen Page, mm-hmm. both the actors and the characters, will be also back in Daredevil Born Again. That has that alone was all I needed to hear to be... Just moving right along, just to get right in step with the old Netflix series. It, ju- it, just, it shows a very com- complete change in direction from whatever they had going on with that first iteration of it. Yeah, it sounds like whatever they had going on at first was not what they needed, but bringing back the familiar faces, I think, will be it's just important. Yeah, like it's it builds trust and familiarity in a in a landscape that Marvel's in, where like you feel like you can't really trust. Uh, we tied. You, you feel like you can't trust them sometimes, like new things that Marvel's doing. Mm-hmm. So I think that this is uh, it's, it's good. I didn't ha- I, as for Bullseye the character I didn't have any strong opinions I mean, on where I thought he was fine some people loved him so uh, I know they're really happy but yeah I'm just excited about Karen Page and uh and, and Foggy Fog Nelson those will be fun I want that trio's dynamic back on screen again although I think as of the end of the last season they are separated but, but equal I, but, but like I think they'll they'll pull it together they're going to they're going to pro- they're going to reform the trio for this I'm sure yeah, maybe they'll be back at uh, Nelson and Murdoch. Or Nelson, Murdoch, and Paige. Or is that how it ended? I don't remember. It's been some time since we saw Daredevil season Did they make it Nelson, Murdoch, and Paige? It could, it could have been. I don't remember. It's been too long. Okay, well, I'm probably getting a spoiler territory. But um, the uh, it just goes, I guess it goes to show how long it's been since yeah. the end of like Daredevil season three and what will be this born again coming out, I guess, next year or something. It'll be a born again devil. So... But cool, I'm I'm excited to hear that. And I have one last story, and it's barely a story. Okay, I, I also it's really have a reminder. One. Oh, okay. Well, well, I do. It's a quick reminder. Okay. Uh, Final Fantasy VII Advent Children is uh, coming to theaters in the U.S. at the end of February. 
That is uh, February 22nd. Yeah. Okay. I remember I saw this. It's February 22nd, I think, dubbed. And then like 23rd subbed or, or something like that. Sounds about right. Something like that. Like one, basically one day in theaters for each version of the movie. I guess that's... Oh, 21st and 22nd. Yeah. So is that to promote the new game? Yeah, this to rebirth. rebirth, but uh, it'll be the first time it's ever been in theaters in the U.S., so that'll be cool. It, it's been so long since I've seen Advent Children. I remember I watched it as a kid, and I had no clue what was going on. I never played Final Fantasy VII. I didn't know anything about the characters. They were always like asking, like, like where's Mother? Yeah, the first time I saw it, I didn't know anything either. But I've seen it at least seven times. I, uh, I know a guy who has a copy of it on Blu-ray on a hard drive somewhere in his closet. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, and I, I know a well, guy. Interesting. I know. Um, I know that I might understand it a little bit better now. I've played Final Fantasy VII Reboot, so that should tell me all I need to know. I suppose that's it. Huh? That's all you need to know. That's it. Yeah, no, that's cool. It's funny you mention it because I did have a final story, and it's also related. Oh. Sony's releasing a Final Fantasy VII Rebirth TV. I don't know what that means, Paul. So, um, Sony Electronics and Square Enix have partnered to introduce the official gaming television for Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, adding to the excitement surrounding the highly anticipated game. It's a Sony Bravia XR TV that offers features like auto HDR tone mapping and auto genre picture mode. Does it shoot Thundaga? I don't think it really has anything. So, what do I care? What, what well, is sorry, it? okay, here's, here's the feature that you might... Um, be yeah, enticed what's the, what's by the, what's gonna... gamers can enjoy additional benefits with a dedicated game menu, including screen resizing, multi view options, and customization of settings for an immersive gaming experience. So, I think that the sales pitch here is that you will be able to. Hmm. Okay. Additionally, players will be able to increase the brightness of dark areas and turn off variable refresh rate, reduce motion blur. But it will also allow players to change the size and split the display screen in order to watch videos and play games at the same time. So, according to the press release, um, the TV will use a cognitive processor that will make the audio sound as if players are in the world of Gaia fighting alongside Cloud. Gaia? Yeah, what is that's, that? that's, that's, where that's they are? their planet. Oh, Okay. So the idea is that like you can be looking up like a video guide or something on YouTube and then like have like your gameplay in the corner. That's strange. And then like switch them like as you need like, like help with the It feels like it's a feature something. that's made for like 5% of the population. Yeah, I mean I think that it's just probably a it, it what it really sounds like is it's just a, another Sony Bravia TV with a neat feature and they're just Loosely tying it into Final Fantasy VII. I thought to it get a was going to be like, yeah, this TV specifically cast the game in three D, in 3D, so you can high five Cloud and Tifa will make you a drink. Now that is a Final Fantasy VII TV. Yeah, I don't think you're getting that yet. Well, but I'm disappointed. Um, you know, I mean, it's cool. It's just they realize that people want this game, and so maybe they can sell a few thousand dollar TV. Yeah, move, move a couple units, huh? So that's just your double whammy of Final Fantasy VII news for the day. Dope. But cool. that's all I've got in stories. Same. So it's time to take a look inside the pot. Yeah, dig in the pot, yeah. And answer more of you guys' questions. The typical reminder is that you can always submit these questions on our Google form. That's linked in the show notes and video description if you are so inclined. So. Okay. So... If you could erase one thing from Yu-Gi-Oh! history, that's a deck, mechanic, format, etc., what would it be? 
If I could remove mm-hmm. any one thing, hmm. it's hard to remove one thing. Oh, so you want multiple? Well, what comes What comes to mind first? Well, I'd want to get rid of like so many combo decks. Just so <laughs> many. Just. I think I would, if I had to say, I think I'd get rid of like. So this one's going to be controversial. Just hear me out. I get rid of pendulums. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I would get rid of pendulums has nothing to do with me personally disliking them. While I don't really play many pendulum decks, so maybe you could say I'm like too far from the matter to care and like right. whatever. But like, it seems like Konami actually hates them. Mm-hmm. Like they 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 seem like they regret releasing pendulums, and they're at a point now where they are actively like hampering them. Like with right. the new Diabell's monster, that's just a walking floodgate that invalidates the pendulum mechanic. Or the fact that they like won't. Ooh, right. now keep going. I well, the fact that they won't like you know free electromite, anti spell fragrance invalidates the mechanic. They you know pendulum decks just it feels like they really struggle, and then the master rule for revision, you know, undid all the like restrictions for like synchro and fusion and exes, but like pendulums are still for whatever reason like tied to link monster. Yeah, zones. It you just really get the impression that. Now they're in the awkward space. So they just regret making them, and like they're just trying desperately to overbalance them in order to keep them from getting out of hand. And so, that's a huge. That's a huge change. It sounded like it wasn't huge, and it got bigger because that so. changes a, a mechanic, decks, and a format. And I still would also say they never really like made pendulums. Like they never used the the numbers on the scales. Like I always thought that there was gonna be like, oh, one scale number would be different and like it would care, it would matter where you place them. And they might've been planning that at some point in development and then just decided to keep it all identical. Now it kind of makes for inefficient card design. Yeah. So maybe they wanted to just keep them all the same for simplicity, but that kind of feels Mm. unreal, like unrealized potential. And then the biggest reason that caps all of it is that a lot of people quit because of pendulums. It's given like modern Yu-Gi-Oh a bit of a, rap for like you know load of card text now the things have two effects they're half monster and half spell and i know i know i understand how the mechanics work it's not confusing for me but for the average outsider looking in right it is something that has caused you know people to look away from the game so gotcha all right you know what i remove what are you removing inherent special summons okay and i mean all of them I mean, everything that could count as an inherent special summon, I, 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 I'd want to know. So, like, what happens? Like, are the cards just gone, or do you yep, mean, like, the mechanic the, is not? The cards are gone. Oh, okay. Interesting. The, uh, I think Yu-Gi-Oh! started taking a different direction in card design when we embraced the inherent special summon. Uh, for me, I guess it started with, like, it didn't really start, but it really got kind of started with Cyber Dragon and... Then we start we start moving into these these inherent summons. When before, when we were special summoning, for the most part, they were not inherent. We did we did a lot. We did fusion summons. We did these like conditional summons. Yeah, like it was a ritual summon or something. Yeah, not 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 these like built in special summons. And then you get yeah. into the extra deck. We have our link monsters. We have our synchro monsters. Ever Xyz monsters. And I don't. I feel like. Summons should have always been tied to a card of some kind. Okay. Like, that we should have always had to activate something to let us summon. But, hey, it is my choice. I get to get no, rid of something. I, I'm getting I, rid of inherent special no, summons. I understand. I mean, I don't think that that's... 
Like, that's something where if you tell someone that, I think people would be like, what? That's crazy. Like, I like my hair in special summons. But, I mean, there are, it's true that they have done, they, they've led to a lot of kind of how crazy Yu-Gi-Oh can get now. Because, I mean. I think that I would just like to see them maybe, uh, well, that, that's a conversation about the extra deck. So um, Yeah, I mean, it, it that, stretches. That's, like, that's it its stretches. own but I do think every Dang. one of our mechanics could have been done as a derivative of a fusion mechanic where you play a card and it says, all right, two monsters with the same level, you smash them together to make this. Two monsters whose level equal up to this, you smash them together, you make that. Yeah, that's true. By making them inherent, like special summons or whatever their new term is for that, uh, it, it introduced some some problems. I mean, I, there are parts of Yu-Gi-Oh's history, though, that I do like as, as being inherent summons, like you know the Chaos Monsters, mm-hmm. Black Cluster Soldier and stuff. Like, those feel really iconic and, like, a big part of Yu-Gi-Oh's history. And I think that that was a period of time where I liked them because they felt like comebacks. Like, right. Like, you know, you had to kind of build up to it. And when someone says, okay, like, I'm removing a light in the dark and, like, they summon Chaos Sorcerer, it was a moment. Whereas nowadays it can kind of just be like, well, link off two disparate it's monsters. It's kind of gone off the rails a bit, at least from where it started. And there's also some easy answers. Like, I would maybe get rid of, like, missing the timing. I, you know, I don't think fair. there's much. That's, fair. That's just a silly mechanic. I don't think that it should really be a thing. All right, what you got? Okay, my question is a controversial topic. My locals is primarily poorly hygienic people that I struggle to vibe with. Does anyone else have this problem? This person also said, I remember when I wrote this card, that they um, posted about this on Reddit, and their post got taken down. They were kind of upset about that. Mm. So, uh, yeah, what do you do when it feels like your card shop's kind of, it stinks, and you, a showering individual. I mean, I feel like you just got to start calling them on that. You got to start showing up to, like, locals with bars of soap and deodorant. Like, and not, don't even say anything. You start handing out to people. Like, here you go. Happy happy Father's Day. Happy Well, that might make uh, you happy enemy birthday. number one. Well, I mean, you might as well be. Like, you're already ostracized because you're the only one that smells good. Like, Well, I don't think that people are ostracizing this person. I think no, this their person smells is are. Just, well, yeah, I think this this person feels like it's hard to, yeah. I I know Yu-Gi-Oh! tournaments have already made the rule about, like, if, if someone's putrid and it's, like, distracting people, that they can actually get in trouble for that at tournaments. Mm-hmm. I think I would say speak to, like, a, a store, you know, owner, a shop owner or whatever, because card games can... So I've tried to make a concerted effort in recent years to not... You know, take the low-hanging fruit of just saying, oh, card game players just stinking need to take showers, and, like, they're all, you know. But I'm not trying not to joke about it, but it is true that it's an issue, and so I do feel like um, if it feels like it's impeding people's ability to play games, then shop owners should know about it and do something. I've been to shops that have signs that actually say, like, you can't, mm-hmm. you know, like you have to, like, tend to your hygiene because, like, this is a shared social experience. And it brings me back to sort of what you were saying earlier about, you know, like when people bring their weird play mats or something to the shop. Is I think that in a lot of people's eyes for like socially, maybe socially inept, like kind of nerds, um, we've all been there. Some of us are those people. You can forget that like going to the card shop is still like a public experience. Yeah, You know, you are not like you're getting to play with fellow nerds and your friends who like the things you like, but... That isn't an excuse not to take care of you know yourself. take care of yourself like maintenance and stuff like that is still required or yeah. should be. No, that makes sense. Like, 
I think, but there's always awkwardness. Uh, no one ever wants to be that guy. Yeah, you don't even when tell the shop has a policy for it, even the employees don't necessarily want to have to tell anyone, and they just might not. Even though they should, they just might not. And yeah. I think this guy, because more than likely they've probably talked to the shop owner. Maybe the shop owner is one of the smelly ones. I think it falls on you if you. I think you kind of have to make us think about it. You know? <laughs> yeah, I I agree. I mean, like it does suck to have to like be the villain in that scenario because it feels like you're you know ruining the fun. But I've been to some putrid card shops. I, I mean, even our own local card shop. There are some days where... It's not every day. You know, it's not like all the time. Sometimes it's fine. But like when enough people get in there or it's the wrong crowd or whatever, I mean, you can feel the the, the, like, the, the thickness in the air of just the, the suffocating. Sometimes I give it a pass when I, like it's like a working guy and they just got off work. And uh, it just... I So to an extent, I'm like, well... Like he just got off work, but then the other ones, they didn't. They they didn't even work today. Yeah, they just didn't work. Shower, brush, nothing. But I mean, I guess the thing is though, it's like even the working people get because what if that's what this person's talking about? It's just, it could be yeah. If the, their whole shop could be people who just got off work and they've been outside all day, and that doesn't make it much better. It's that age group. It's just it's like this because like a lot of card shops are like late twenties, mid early to mid like late thirties, whatever. I know a lot of people in their forties. Yeah, and in their forties, and so like it's just it's a very yeah. Maybe you do have to be the person to to say something. Yeah, you just gotta. I would say first go to the card shop owners. Yeah, that before should you be the like first make a move. public thing about it. But um, uh, yeah. And if you are a card shop owner, which I'm sure a few listeners here are, um. Be you know, you gotta enforce that. It, it can make it really unpleasant. You know, you know, you can start offering like little uh, Christmas gift bags of deodorant and body spray. And uh, I've seen regionals handing out at least like Germex mm-hmm. and stuff. So. Oh, door prizes during the tournament! Hey, oh, look, who won? You win a free stick of deodorant! Yeah, mm-hmm. that'd be a little rude, but maybe they need it. Yeah. Right, next question. All right, we have. Oh, this is long. Do you think Yu Gi Oh is moving toward more main deck based archetypes, Snake Eye, Nemalaria, Valmonica, Ashend, instead of extra deck based ones? Uh, hmm. Not really. I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think that just it just happens that there are a few close to each other. But, like, the, for the same set of decks that, like, you mentioned, there's also decks that Just as many are. that don't. I think in Yu-Gi-Oh! there always has to be a balance of those things. But I don't... I think Yu-Gi-Oh! is not in a good place if there's any, like... One is just so much more than the other. Yeah, like, because, I mean, I was going to say, like, we're also getting, um, you know, Goblin Riders. That's an Xyz archetype. Very, very and, like, Xyz. You know, we also have just gotten, like, Armored Xyz and yeah. stuff like that. So... Um, I don't think there's any particular sway one way or another. Now, as for like which one I prefer, I tend to like the decks that kind of work more in the main deck than the extra deck. Mm-hmm. It feels a little bit more like, you know, satisfies the, the Yugi boomer or whatever in me. But um, 
Yeah, you're not, if you're a yeah. real man, you'll beat me with your main deck. Yeah, like I've been really enjoying like Rescue Ace and like Vanquish Soul recently, just because like they are pretty main deck centric. Because Vanquish Soul do have like a link monster, but it really doesn't. I mean, it just it's feel a like one. It can't monster. even be used as link material. Yeah, so like, yeah, so I've been kind of enjoying like decks like that, but um, I don't think it, to answer the question, I don't see like a yeah, I agree. I don't see any like particular sway towards that. All right, final question. If Yu-Gi-Oh! made a product similar to Pokemon ETBs, what would you want to see in them? ETBs being elite trainer boxes. Oh, okay. So. I mean, that maybe something like a, yeah, like a smaller scale rarity collection. Yeah, I, I think, um, I mean, so if they made ETBs, because ETBs typically come out for each new Yu-Gi-Oh! or mm-hmm. Pokemon set. So I guess the Yu-Gi-Oh equivalent might be like an Age of Overlord or a Phantom Nightmare one where you get X amount of packs. Let's say anywhere between 8 to 10. I know yeah. ETBs give you 9. You so, get some sleeves, some tokens. Yeah, I think you, you should get some sleeves. Um, A few token cards could be cool. And they cool. could all be themed around the set. That could be cool. Yeah, getting token cards of different archetypes in the set would be nice. Uh, I mean, maybe even one of the mini mats. Yeah. I know that those might cost a little bit more to do, but like the half size rubber mats mm-hmm. could be cool, especially if they like showed archetypes from said sets. Yeah. So there's like a variant factor to it. I think that'd be really cool because we don't, when you know, new sets come out and Konami doesn't do a lot with that. We get a mat for the set, but that's usually like a sneak peek prize. Yeah. And you might see some of those archetypes pop up on like regional or YCS mats, but then that's about it. Like, yeah, that's not very accessible to. The average person, because you're going to, like, win those. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, Konami has explored these separate, uh, like, they, they've done each of these things separately. Like, sometimes they'll have uh, a thing that might come with sleeves, or, th- or like, yeah. the Legendary Duelist, like, chapter or two or whatever, mm-hmm. like, where, like, there's some dice. But I think they've never really done, like, a product where you just get like all of it one. in there, where it's like, okay, you get sleeves, dice, a half mat, a, a token pack. Um, it actually reminds me a lot of the quarter century duelist box we opened last yeah. week. We talked about it um, before, but like it kind of comes with a little bit of not. I mean, it didn't come with like sleeves, but it so. had a, it had a deck box, it had cards, it had a little card frame. Had, which yeah, that's that probably not as frame, important, but it's to, still something. Yeah, it was just basically giving people a little. Yeah, just giving a little bit more, which are you? Yeah, yeah, a little bit more. Um, and I think that they they strike a nice balance of like maybe not being like a full box. But still being a full good experience, value. I like it. Yeah, an experience that's a good way to put it. Anyway, cool. That's that's our uh, two questions from the pot, which means or four. Which that's means the that's end of gonna, today's episode. Yeah, bring the week to a close. Make sure you guys let us know what you thought of any and all of the stories that were discussed today. There's Drop quite them a in lot. The comments or leave talk about it in a review. You know, a little five star review never hurts. Yeah, for sure. Shout out to everybody watching the live premiere on YouTube. Shout out to everybody that are joining in our Google form to give us questions. Yeah. Anyways, that's gonna be it. We'll see we'll you guys, see guys in the, in the next, next one. one. Past, Past turn. turn.